for it to be This is small town music This is big town music He's ahead of his time, you know But he can't use it If only he could prove it Well, tomorrow's just a song away A song away A song away Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis. And I'm Kyle Dobson. And I think I'm David You are David Lyle. And uh, David, you're fresh from, uh, you came straight here, well, no, you didn't come straight here. You came straight here from the shower, but you played tennis earlier today. Yeah, I was going to come off the canyon, mm-hmm. right off the hike, directly here. And that would have been terrible for you. It would have been okay for me, but I promise you... I don't like smelling me for two hours after a hike. I know you would not. So instead, a great screenwriter, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a guy who wrote The Commitments and wrote Still Moving and wrote uh, Across the Universe, a lot of mm-hmm. great and a lot of great British TV shows. Uh, he asked me to fill in in a doubles game against uh, a good comedy director and uh, a woman who I don't know what she does i'm weirdly not a competitive person except in doubles tennis Mm -hmm. i i think i'm the greatest doubles tennis player of all time (laughs) and that's with no ego just like you know we're talking uh you know we're talking about paul simon today he has no ego no well i was saying it's like (laughs) there's artists that you love because they're the other they're like uh um you know they're like Bruce even, even though he's from mm-hmm. New Jersey and I'm from New Jersey, he's yeah. like from the other side of the tracks and writes about well, the he's tracks. From the, he's from the dark side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, there is darkness on the edge of town generally. Uh, but like Paul Simon to me is so much, I feel like for me to love him as much as I do, it's like harder because it's like an uncle. He literally feels like a relative. He's, you know, sort of uh, a well-educated short Jewish guy from the greater New York area who happens to be maybe the greatest singer songwriter. He and Dylan, Mm -hmm. a Jew from Minnesota. Again, like Bruce sounds like a Jew, Mm -hmm. uh, but isn't, uh, Bob Dylan is, but changed his name. So he wouldn't sound like one. Uh, but Paul Simon and our Garfunkel, think about that Garfunkel. Uh, the, they are very, very, uh, shaping of my love of music literally uh we're we're talking today a few weeks early but this might be heard by people the day before i do an event absolutely it will be oh great uh at the grammy museum and uh i literally have you know uh i haven't other than being honored to ask be asked to do it i haven't had a conversation with paul about what he wants but what i was thinking was I would do my, because usually they want you to walk out and introduce a person and speak for a few minutes. Everyone knows who Paul Simon is. (laughs) Yeah. So I thought I better introduce myself Mm -hmm. in relation to Paul Simon. And I really can say that I've had, my whole life has been shaped by Paul Simon and connected to Paul Simon as a, you know, not in the way that we're good friends and I can name drop him much. Mm -hmm. We've barely, we've talked a lot on the phone late at night doing like, liner notes or tour books or the bio for his new record i've i've had a dangling conversation to use a phrase from uh simon from simon and garfunkel but i don't we've spent only probably total of like an hour or two around each other i was around uh paul and artie when they were reuniting for the grammys mm-hmm. you know years ago in new york uh but i haven't spent a lot of time with them so i'm actually really excited about tomorrow night you know, spending some quality time. Oh, but I was going to talk about uh, 
my first memories of music are a couple eight tracks my mom played on carpools when I was like six or seven or, uh, you know, and those were like Bridge Over Troubled Water. That was big. Uh, the Graduate soundtrack, which I think is why I still love MILF porn. <laughs> no, uh, I, uh, it's why uh, I, I do think my first sort of thoughts of women yeah. were shaped by my parents having that eight track of The Graduate. Yeah. And there was something really, I guess I didn't even know what, Sex was, but, yeah, the, but that there's cover, her leg. And Bancroft's, yeah, sort of, Bancroft's leg is like up there. you mean people who look like moms who are attractive have sex. It was like all yeah. what it was. My awakening is a lot through Paul Simon, and on a more literal level, just the awareness that songwriters how great they can be and how it could be like literature. Uh, I think Paul Simon more than because Bob Dylan sort of, I think, tried to act like it was just pouring out of him, but I think Paul Simon is more connected to like the great literary writers of mm -hmm. all time. Like a guy who just as a craft learned how to use words artfully. And then also the thing that makes him different than Dylan in a way, they both sort of have a very close connection to folk and roots, roots sort of music. But Paul Simon is a great musician, like, and probably, uh, you know, the first guy to sort of, literally go after world music as an idea like yeah. to say and not that he invented you know every culture's music but he was the first guy from sort of the mainstream of rock to like you know like with El Condor Passa early on with Simon Garfunkel obviously through Graceland and then you know all the other works that uh followed or Mother and Child Reunion which I still think what's weird is like when someone I think I was asked once to make a list of my favorite like reggae songs and it's weird that one of them would be a Paul Simon song. Would be a Paul Simon yeah. song. But it's true. I mean, I think it's one of my favorite things ever. My list, I have eight Bob Marley, one Peter Tosh, and then and then one Paul Simon also. Which is crazy. <laughs> you know, and it's like, uh, I mean, I guess it's sort of like, there's people like, when you get to your favorite rap songs, it's not a Blondie song or, right. you know, it just, but uh, weirdly with Paul Simon, when he goes at something, I think he... Uh, Lyle Lovett, who is someone I got to know better than Paul, told me once that like when when Lyle had his first few big records, mm -hmm. he like met Paul, and Paul literally took him aside like the professor, the, prof the the brilliant professor, and said, "You're really good. Let me give you some insight into songs." And there's a famous story about Billy Joel and Paul Simon that I I think I just read in Rolling Stone, but I think Billy Joel said that he pulled him over, and this is when Billy Joel was the biggest star on earth, and yeah. said like. You're really good, but you need to get a thesaurus. <laughs> and I think he bought maybe for a birthday party or something. He bought him a thesaurus and said, "Wait, Billy Joel bought no Paul Simon bought Billy, Billy Joel, Joel a thesaurus." And okay. said, "You got to try a little, which is which is a nice way of saying you got to try a little harder with yeah. your word choices." And I'm like, "Wow, yeah, that's uh, that's interesting." But I think Paul Simon is, you know, as great an artist as I know in my time following music and. I, I don't know if you've listened to Stranger to Stranger, but to oh me, oh my it's god, like, yeah, I've been listening to it since it came out. Yeah, along with the Monkees, I know we both love. I like Tegan uh, and Sarah too. Those uh, are three great albums for yeah. me this this year. But Paul Simon, I just uh, you know, it was one of those things where um, our mutual friend Joel Amsterdam called and said they wanted Paul wanted me to interview him for the bio to come over to uh, Concord and mm -hmm. play the record, and you know, you never know what that's going to be no. like. And the second I heard it, I was like. How how does a guy maintain his edge and be adventurous 
and fresh. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there's very, like, you know, a lot of artists, you know, go and they run out of ideas. Yeah. They, or they sing so, a standards yeah. record like, you know. Yeah, like, the past, for example, the past couple Bruce Springsteen albums, for me, they're not, they're not solid top to bottom at all. But the last couple of Paul Simon albums for me are definitely solid top to bottom. Right. And he's a guy who's literally been doing it. You know, he was on American Bandstand as Tom and Jerry with Art yeah. Garfunkel at 15 or yeah. whatever it was. I mean, his music has is. been around the whole time you and I have been on the planet. There's been Paul Simon yeah. music. And very, there's things I like more or less, but there's, he's never been boring. irrelevant to me. Or never boring yeah. either. Yeah. And actually, like, uh, we'll get into it, but my first week at Rolling Stone was by coincidence the week that the advances arrived at Rolling Stone of Graceland. Okay. And I I will say this is one of the only times where I know I'm sometimes I think, am I do I have good taste? Do I have any insight? I think I was far and away the person at the office who was flipping out. And yeah. I think it was and I think at that point it's sort of like unfortunately in the critical world there tends to be a little bit of groupthink, and he was coming off a record that uh, is one know, of my favorites. Well, no, and my favorite Paul Simon yeah. record is Hearts and Bones, and and it, but it was not viewed that well. It wasn't no. that well reviewed. No, it was we not. Discuss, we'll discuss that yes. later. Why? Uh, but the fact that that was an amazing moment where you—that's again like this new record. Mm-hmm. They're not that. I mean, there's connections to the two records, Stranger, Stranger, and Graceland, but. That's a case where a guy just reinvented the whole process of writing for himself and found a new way to do it. And it's like even in a new, I think I think I heard you and Jimmy Pardo talking about, I could be wrong, I know I heard Jimmy talking about this disturbed version of uh, Sounds of Silence. Yeah, that was that was Jimmy, but I, I have heard it. Or maybe we discussed yeah. it, uh, you know, this summer earlier. But like, it's amazing that this guy's songs have a life that, like no other. So yeah, that's what well, the, the way you say you were flipping out when Graceland came uh, came in. I uh, I was in college then, and I uh, and I had brought you know I would go home for the weekend and I would buy albums and I'd bring them back and I brought whenever Graceland came back I brought it you know to the to the dorm room yeah. and everyone that came in was they'd pick it up and they're like what the fuck is that Paul really Paul Simon and then literally a month later every fucking person's playing it. Right. And I was just like, fuck you guys. That's actually, (laughs) you know what I mean? I think that's an example where, uh, and it doesn't always happen this way, but the Grammys, like there's times when uh, the Grammys can, you know, a Grammy success can sort of give a record a whole other life. And it's sort of, even though it was done well, I think yeah. the Grammy sort of was like one of those moments where everyone said, hey, you have to hear this record. Yeah. And, and it's true. And he had a great performance on Saturday Night Live of uh, Diamonds on the Soles of Their Shoes and a couple and whatever other songs he was playing from Graceland when he was on. Oh, yeah. And by the way, that's one of the other things that's interesting about him is he's, you know, his, he, he you know, from, from the beginning, he wrote like great statement songs mm-hmm. from Bridge Over Troll, early on, Sounds of Silence, all that. Weirdly, he's extremely funny. Like, he's one of the he best. He is funny. Uh, he and Lauren Michaels are friends, which yes. is part of the reason. But he's one of the greatest musician. He might be the greatest musician host. He and Steve Martin, if you want to call him also a musician, right. 
They're the funniest guys who were ever on Saturday Night Live. Garth Ju- Brooks? Up to Justin Timberlake. Garth Brooks? Yeah, I'm going to stick with Also, Steven Seagal Justin. plays music, and he was the host. I don't recognize Steven Seagal <laughs> as playing music or being funny. Or, or acting. Or even as being Steven Seagal. <laughs> well, um, yeah, Paul Simon, I mean, I still remember the, the sketch of him and uh, when Charles Grodin comes out in the Art Garfunkel wig, and they're singing together, and it's... Yeah, he was always funny on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, no, and he's actually, yeah, very, very witty, and... I've he's made me laugh. Uh, I talked to him a few months ago for mm. the for the bio of this record, and he's just very dry and very smart. Like there's, I guess the smartest people I've ever met in music. Paul Simon's probably Bowie, and maybe that's why they're the guys who had careers that lasted that way. Yeah. I think the smartest guys I've ever met were Bowie, Paul Simon. I think I think those would be the two smartest guys I ever met. He seems like a guy that when you interview him, he takes a little bit. He doesn't just answer the question immediately. It seems like he's going to take a little time. Think about the question that you was just asked before he even opens his mouth. Do you get that feeling or I, you, you would know, know from talking to him? I have to say we've had maybe because of the nature of I've always been interviewing him at his request for something, not like something that was assigned yeah. to me. And uh, yeah, I've never interviewed him for Rolling Stone that I can think of. And um I haven't found it that way. I think that's why he maybe. Do you think me, in front of an audience, a, though, he might be a little bit? Uh, you know, the last time I saw him in person was uh, the Country Music Hall of Fame had a benefit in New York, and it was I was there meeting with Brad Paisley and Carrie Underwood mm-hmm. and Vince Gill and Emmy Lou Harris were the other two, and it was a guitar poll with them and Paul Simon, and I will say, in that instance. It was amazing because I'm a huge fan of Vince Gill. I don't know if you even know his work, but Emmylou Harris, I love. I Brad and Carrie are obviously friends. I work with a lot, and I admire them. There was no way to compete with Paul Simon on a stage <laughs> because, like, when he pulls a guitar out and does any one of those songs, yeah. they're they're not they're they're standards. There's like there's people like him, like Fogarty has a couple, like Proud Mary, right? But their songs that when people and it's McCartney has this obviously. Mm-hmm. Dylan would have it, but he would never get into a guitar pull situation. But there's people who, when they, they 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 do a song, you go, "Oh my God, I can't even conceive that a human wrote that because it's so much part of the architecture of our yeah. hearts and uh, bones." Like Homeward Bound. Homeward Bound. I is mean, just amazing. that sounds like a song that was around like f- for a hundred years. Yeah, absolutely. And then what's weird about that is uh, that's like Fogarty too. I think with Proud Mary, it sounds mm-hmm. like it comes from another century. But then Paul Simon, this new record. There's a song like Wristband that to me is like, okay, that's so much 2016. That's my life. That's my world. So he's he's kept his eyes open. That's the song I think we'll play out with today. Okay, That'll be cool. our, I think we'll play out with that because that is really, that's really a great tune. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I am, um, you know, on the table right now. I don't even know why I brought it because no one can see it except us. But uh, one of my one of my favorite and books. Kyle can't even see it because he's so sick. He's, I know. He's, he's so sick. He's looking through mucus eyes. <laughs> Which is um, probably the worst song on Who's Next. Not a good album. Behind Mucus Eyes. <laughs> the, uh, but I have Paul Simon's lyrics, 64 to 2008. Maybe we update this, people. There's been other things since then. But uh, I, love, I love just reading his lyrics. Like, they're poetry. Yeah, no. And, uh, I think he's maybe the greatest American songwriter. Yeah, you me. know, I, I can't... It, I guess literally it feels like with Bob Dylan and Paul Simon, to me it's like, Two uncles, mm-hmm. one crazier than the other, yeah. uh, one more, a little more inexplicable. I weirdly have spent more time with Dylan mm-hmm. than I have with uh, 
Paul Simon. And I, I'm going to, but I've spoken, I guess, because of the phone mm-hmm. calls I've had with Paul, I've spoken to them each a lot. And they're kind of, they do, they're more alike than they would admit on. I th- admit, I think Bob Dylan just has more a sense of like keeping the world at, at bay. Yeah. So he doesn't really let people in, but he's friggin' hysterical. Now, if this, great. if this was Bob Dylan's lyric book sitting here, the table would break <laughs> because it would be like, it would be like how, how much thicker would his lyric book be than this book? Cause he just, he's, he's, he's a machine with uh, writing and recording. He's the Woody Allen his of would be music. Like May 1964 to June 1964. And it would be, it, it would be that thick. <laughs> that, yeah, you're yeah. right. Woody Allen, uh, Paul Simon was pretty good in Annie Hall too, as you remember. That's right. He's pretty great. I forgot that he's in that. Yeah. He has uh, his scenes are with who Tony Roberts. He's at the right. part the party scene. Remember, he's like the L.A. Uh, uh, he, yeah, come in. He's just this great L.A. host. Just he just m- mocking L.A. vapidity, yeah. which now we all are part of. How old is Paul Simon now? Uh, I did look it up this morning, and I'm already, but it was pre tennis, so I don't remember. I think it was at seventy. He's seventy four. Four, yeah, that's what it was. He's seventy four. So he's and at seventy four. Doing, I don't know what you heard. I was a, uh, I, I was at my son's, uh, dropping my son off. I think uh, when he came here, um, but his last show, I heard everyone who went said it's the best show they've ever seen. I didn't hear one thing other than that. Is that the one he did with Sting? Or did no, he, do, he did some solo shows. Solo shows. I haven't fine. seen him since two thousand ten or eleven with with the last album. But I saw him twice. I saw him two nights in a row. He played like a, a warm up show at the uh, at the Fonda. Mm-hmm. And then the next two nights, he was across the street at the Pantages. So I saw the Fonda show and then the Pantages. And it was amazing. Uh, yeah, I saw him um, with Dylan, which was crazy. Like that as a double bill was crazy. They didn't perform anything together, did they? Did I they? don't think they did, if I remember correctly. Uh, but it was a great show, except it was at the Hollywood Bowl. And my only time where I parked in stacked parking at the Hollywood <laughs> Bowl, I think I was there for three or four weeks. Slumming it. Before I got out. You were slumming it. Just a man of the people. I think you know that. Well, let's get into the music. We're only going to do. A, we're only doing Paul Simon solo because uh, later <laughs> this year, uh, Kathy Ladman and I are going to tackle the Simon and Garfunkel. I have to uh, obviously Kathy song. Right. Yes, okay. <laughs> I obviously have to have a, a person of uh, Jewish faith across from me when we talk about Simon or Simon and Garfunkel. So Kathy right. Ladman will I'm be here later in the year. <laughs> you're you're uncomfortable with it. Yes. Uh, I so, never said I was Jewish. I feel awkward about you saying that. Let's start. I've with, never, I've never formally acknowledged this. <laughs> let's start with except an, every sentence I say, and now this, in between every word. <laughs> this first album, a lot of people don't know. I don't think the the Paul Simon songbook. Yeah, the story is that. Uh, oh, oh, well, Kyle wanted to give to us a little, te- little tease of that. Kyle, I was thank you. Cue it up. Uh, right. No, the the story is that. Paul Simon's whole Simon and Garfunkel career can be seen as a fluke, a little bit of a fluke. Luck. What, yeah, what had happened is he had done like Alice in Wonderland with this new kid Art Garfunkel in sixth grade, I think it was, like at school, and then they went and did like a couple. You know, he had a solo career even on his yeah. own back then. I think a lot of it is Jerry Landis. He was in a group, I think Tico and the Triumphs or something. But then they had this one-off hit, "Hey Little Schoolgirl," which was by like Tom an and Jerry by Tom and Jerry. Then they did the first Simon and Garfunkel record, which was on Columbia and bombed. And Paul Simon at that moment, so this is like 64, Mm -hmm. like the Beatles 64 year, he goes to England to sort of be a part of the folk world and become a solo artist. Yeah. 
He's like put, 23 or 24. Yeah. And he puts out a record called the Paul Simon Songbook, which never at that point comes out in America. Right. But it, and the first single from the record the, is one of my favorite songs, and it's a song I'll start with, and it is a song called I Am A Rock. I built walls A fortress steep and mighty That none may penetrate I have no need of friendship Friendship causes pain It's laughter and it's loving I disdain I am a rock I am an island And if you can, uh, yeah The interesting thing about that is I've always thought the great sort of paradox in is then you have him go and record that for what happens is that a producer named Tom Wilson who's mm-hmm. an amazing character I think Marshall Crenshaw who we both like yes. uh, has produced a documentary about yes, him. Yes he's working on one. Uh, yeah we're work, trying to get one funded or and Tom Wilson is an amazing interesting guy who's a one of the early in the rock world a black producer who worked with like Frank Zappa and the Mothers he worked with uh, Bob Dylan in some of the most important work and he's the guy who, I guess some radio station started playing Sounds of Silence from their first Simon and Garfunkel record. And he says, I'm going to, now that the Beatles are sort of hitting, he puts it, adds on an electric guitar to it and it becomes a smash. And that's what caused Simon and Garfunkel. Paul comes back from England where he's hanging out with, amazingly, with like Al Stewart, you know, uh, uh, and hang Year of the Cat Year of Al the Cat Stewart? Al Stewart he's, he's part of a folk scene with all the great folkies in, in England and then he just leaves it and that's how Simon and Garfunkel become Simon and Garfunkel so oh but the weird thing about this particular song is I've always thought that so shows one of the tensions that will ultimately tear apart Simon and Garfunkel and lead to the whole solo career which is what we're focusing on today yeah. because Paul write a song like I Am A Rock and it's a weird song to then become Sing it with another guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's all about being isolated. And mm-hmm. so it's like harmonizing on a song. Yeah, it's, it's strange. Not, we are a rock. The, we are the rocks. We, exactly. So I've always thought that was a... Like, now, We Are the Rock, I think, is a Twisted Sister song. Exactly. <laughs> or it will be. Yes. Well, I guess they broke up. Now, on this... Uh, rock and Peace. Also, on this, um, on this Paul Simon songbook, other songs on this include April Come She Will, The Sound of Silence... A Most Peculiar Man, Kathy's Song. So these all become Simon and Garfunkel staples later on, but in their purest, rawest form are on this album. Yeah, it's a little record that a lot of people don't know. Uh, and it's just, you know, it's just an interesting, The we shouldn't get too much into Simon and Garfunkel yes. at all, but I will say that that's... But it does relate really to this yeah, album. It does time. relate. And like, Art Garfunkel does have gifts uh and sometimes those gifts really, like Bridge Over Trouble Water is not as magical. And Paul, I think, knew this better than anyone. He basically gave it to Art. It's yeah. like, that was like his valuable parting gift. Like, you really take this song. And mm. there's something about that sort of angelic, gospel, churchly, gifted voice that certain songs really suited but one of the running tensions that will come up in his life, in Paul Simon's career, is it doesn't suit everything. And the most famous case being when we get to Hearts and Bones, which mm-hmm. is my favorite record. And of all the things my entire life since that came out that I've wanted to hear, and I have directly asked to hear it, 
is that that was originally cut as a Simon, Simon Garfunkel, Garfunkel record. Reunion album. Yes. Comeback album, whatever and, you want to call it. And at a certain point, Paul made the decision to strip art off of it. They've got to release that sometime, don't you think? Uh, I mean, the way they release stuff nowadays, that's got to come out. That may be my first question. That will be my last question. When are we going to hear uh, Tomorrow, when I'm with, sitting with Paul, I'll bring it up. And I've, I have done my back channeling, mm. and I've sort of been promised I will hear it, and I have never. It's got. To, it's going to sound like I'm piggybacking you, but it really, it, that really is my favorite Paul Simon album too. I have a theory about it, which is, um, I think it's one of the most perfect records, one of the most ambitious records, one of my favorite records of all time. And I've I've told him this. I think the first song is bad, and it was the first single, and I think it's, it's the reason the record. It's got a great Al Demiola well. guitar solo on it. And I'm from I'm a neighbor of Al Demiola, but I don't. I'll be playing that. Later I, yeah. In the okay. Show. I'm not. I think that's the reason the record wasn't bigger. Mm -hmm. I think it was absolutely the wrong song. And I know the reason he put it out because as I understand it, again, I've never, I'll, maybe I'll ask him this directly tomorrow. I understand that he had, had writer's block right before this. And that was the song that broke the writer's block. Wow. And so it begins the record and it was the first single. And to me, it's the least interesting song on one of the greatest records ever made. All right. I love it. Now, my, my pick from the Paul Simon scrapbook, uh, I'm sorry, the Paul Simon songbook was also I Am A Rock. So because I love lyrics like like this is I love this lyric. Uh, I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I am shielded in my armor, hiding in my room, safe within my womb. I touch no one and no one touches me. I mean, I just that's just I get a chill just reading or thinking about it. I love it. That's like worthy of. Uh Twisted Sister. Uh, that's like better than some of the. Uh, that's better than Sammy Hagar. Two mutual friends, Sammy Hagar. Two twisted, uh, two twisted sister references in one Paul Simon yes. show seems like too too many. Two, at least too too many. So I'm tell you what, I'm going to jump into his first solo album that came out after Simon and Garfunkel had decided. Did they call it? Did they were they just on a hiatus, or did they actually say we're breaking up, or? I don't uh, really know. Yeah, I was too young to really know, but I believe, as I understand it, it was like, if you remember, at that point, Art Garfunkel was off making a lot of movies. Like, he went out and did Carnal Knowledge. He did, uh, and I think particularly he had done Catch-22 and went to Mexico, which mm -hmm. led to the song that is, the only living boy in New York is like Paul sitting in New York with, Paul, with Garfunkel off not doing much. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll just say this, frankly, I've always thought that part of it is in many of the greatest partnerships of all time, there's that tension between the guy who does more and the person who does less. Oh, notes. Well, I'm thinking uh, in particular of... Pat uh, and Kyle. No, yeah, exactly. Uh, like, for instance, I know in Bacharach and David's relationship, mm -hmm. I, I believe, you know, Bert Bacharach was doing all the music and production, yeah. and he there was some tension, as I sort of gather about the fact that it was easier to be writing the words. Although I think Hal David's one of the great, along with Paul Simon, one of my favorite lyricists of all time. Brilliant. But I do think that was sort of the tension was, I think there was a lot of tension. It's probably like like with, with Daltrey and Townsend maybe too, because Townsend writes all the songs. Yeah, weirdly, I think the last five years is the only time, 10 years, is the only time I think Townsend and Daltrey like each other. Yeah, because they sense it. Like I think they. Well, that's good because they're friends. getting they're getting older and they realize you know what this is a pretty great thing we have and yeah. it's ridiculous we're old men now. But by the way, that's part of the tension. Is I think it's really interesting. There's this idea of like writing for another 
person. I think there was a big tension in that Paul has this like a lot of irony, a lot of depth, a mm -hmm. lot of grit. And I think Art Garfunkel is a great instrument. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his voice, but doesn't have that songwriting ability per se. Well, and doesn't also have that darkness as yeah. much a quality of his thing. I think it's a, it tends to be almost easy listening. And yeah. I don't mean that in a negative way. I like a lot of that stuff. You think Paul's more cynical? Yeah, no, I think Paul just wanted his own voice as, and his own ability to mm -hmm. pursue. Plus, we'll get into my, the only time I've seen them, I got to watch them argue a little uh, at that Grammy event. And I think it's they're two strong willed guys. And I think you don't tell Paul Simon what to do musically because I think he knows better than just about it. I mean, he's son of a musician and a band mm, leader. Right. He knows everything about the popular song and about arrangement and about lyric. I mean, he's literally the standard yeah. for songwriting and uh, record making. I mean, one of the crazy things about this Stranger to Stranger record, which we'll get to, is that he's working again with Roy Haley, who's older than him, who mm -hmm. is, I think, 80, you could check it. I think he might I'm be like find out right now. 81 or 82, but this is like a guy who was sort of a, you know. He's dead. No, no he was not. Uh, he was born 1934. So yeah, he's 81 or 82. It doesn't say exactly. Which is amazing. And, and Roy Haley was involved in this very modern sounding, yeah. cool record. Uh, he came back into the fold because Phil Ramone, who was also a key collaborator who we'll talk about. He did pass. Who I did know and got to know very, very well. I used to, sit and talk to him about Paul Simon nonstop because he would yep. work on, I worked on the Grammys with him and that was just a great opportunity. He's the guy behind all the big Billy Joel albums. Billy, and he also, but he's also the guy behind like, uh, um, still crazy, yeah. which is huge, you know, yep. and not my favorite, but one of the greats. Well, let's go. I'm going to play, I'll play the first tune off, uh, off Paul Simon's first solo album after Simon and Garfunkel. This was co-produced with Roy Haley and Paul Simon and uh, I'm gonna go with a song called Duncan. Couple in the next room, bound to win a prize. They've been going at it all night long. Well, I'm trying to get some sleep, but these motel walls are cheap. Lincoln Duncan is my name, and here's my song. Here's my song. Now, I'm going to tell you, the first time I heard this as a kid, I thought the couple in the next room were having a fight. In a way, it can be. <laughs> it can sound like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I didn't, uh, I didn't realize, Kyle, they were having sexual relations. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's such a fine line. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, I love, uh, this album's great. I, lo I love this album a lot. This has some great tunes on it, and I know you have some. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, I will play um, a song that, is weirdly, I think, again, this is where, I, in, in, a, in over the years, there have been sometimes, especially with Graceland, where there was some controversy about his exploration of other cultures. Mm -hmm. I'll just say full out, I think it's one of the things I think is most admirable about him. There, This is a guy who is wide open to the world of music and has found a way, when he connects with something, not to just borrow something, which right. is often the case. He'll do a version of it that is everything he has to bring to the party and everything the art form has to yeah. add to his and body of work. Mother and Child Reunion is maybe, I think, one of my favorite songs ever written. I have never not been moved by it. Yeah. I hear it every time. It also, 
I have a weird memory, which is going with my dad, who my mom loved Paul Simon, but my and Simon Garfunkel, but my dad did as well. And I remember going to um, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, to on a business trip. Like my dad worked really hard and would take us on. Like he was a salesman and he ran, started his own company. But he would take kids, take the three of us, my brother, sister, and I, out of school every once in a while individually so we could spend time with him and see him. And he took me to Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And I remember going to a restaurant, I think it was called Ginsburg and Wong's, a Jewish Chinese restaurant. Delicious. In the shadow of a place called the Latin Casino, which is a famous, like, theater. I love the gefilte fish egg rolls there. (laughs) Those are so good. Well, my memory is, I believe that there was a dish called Mother and Child Reunion, which was a chicken and egg, which I think is part of, I believe that might even have been part of uh, Paul Simon. Uh It was like a, I think that's something that he was aware of, that there was this, that was a, it was a Chinese dish where you had like chicken with scrambled eggs. They called it Mother and Child Reunion. Uh, and out of that, in my that's all tied into my head with my dad and all these mm-hmm. memories. Oh, and the Latin Casino was a famous place where Jackie Wilson, the famous soul singer, collapsed. Like it was like this big star. So I think <laughs> I, I remember looking up the marquee, sitting at Ginsburg and Longs, having mother and child reunion. All of that's in my head. That's this is one of my favorite songs ever written. Let's hear it. Straight out. No, I would not give you false hope on this strange I mean, it's like the intelligence of what he is doing right there. Like, I think he's writing about life and death. And he's writing a lyric, literally, which was, I would not give you false hope on, on this strange and mournful day. And yet the music, mm-hmm. the, the reggae, the joy, the sort of warmth of it, it does give you joy. Uh, it does give you false, it gives you hope. It's like lifts you up as it's this really sad song about life and death and passing of, you know, generations. It's crazy crazily brilliant i i think it's one of the best songs ever yeah, there's so much going on there there's a i don't even is it i don't know if it's bass or if it's a guitar but it's like, and like he, the whole he recorded way it in kingston i believe you know he's like one of the first guys i think i don't know in relation to uh eric clapton doing i shot the sheriff mm-hmm. but it's it's unlike that that was bob i mean that was a bob marley song that yeah. eric clapton did really well and i like but this is crazy how early he was in sort of in taking reggae and making it you know something. This is it's just a miraculous. Song. I, I love this. The, the album cover makes me feel good too. It's just him. He's got like a big parka. Yeah. Uh, or, and he just has like this, you know, fun look on his face. Yeah. And uh, yeah, if I ever got an, if I was ever lucky enough to get a Paul Simon autograph, this would be the album that I would uh, want him to sign because I love it. It just looks. He looks like he's in a good mood. Yeah. <laughs> Which he wouldn't be if you ask him for an autograph. <laughs> uh, you have another song from this album too, don't you? I do. Uh... I have a couple, but I think I'll pick, um, again, just sort of one of the things that I think 
is the generation of Paul Simon and I'll throw in Neil Diamond because when I, on Facebook, uh, said something about this event that I'm doing with Paul Simon yesterday, someone wrote me a comment, someone I don't know, wrote me a comment saying it was unethical and there was some worse word of me to talk about how much I love Paul Simon without mentioning Neil Diamond. It was clearly like a Neil Diamond fan who had read my Neil Diamond book, but they thought, how could you mention not mention Neil? So I'm mentioning Neil as well mm-hmm. in the sense that the generation that were like my, they're sort of uncles of mine. Yeah. Not maybe they're between, could be my parents and are, could be uncles, younger uncles. But that generation of artists were the last generation to grow up in a world where rock and roll did not dominate the youth culture completely so that as a result especially his dad being a band leader like there's latin influence in his stuff Mm -hmm. also growing up in new york where he did and the latin thing which will come up later uh many or number of times i think it really starts for me uh in his solo career with me and julio down by the schoolyard which again one of the great this is one of this is one of those songs it's it's like a mental pay i call it a mental patient song because it's a song that i can listen to over and over and over on a loop Never get tired of yep. it. Love it so much. Yeah. Let's hear it, Kyle. I agree. Uh, everything about it. Your mama pajama rolled out of bed and she ran to the police station. When the papa found out, he began to shout and he started the investigation. It's against the law. It was against the law. Or what the mama saw. It was against the law. The mama looked down and spit on the ground Every time my name gets mentioned The papa said, oh, if I get that boy I'm gonna stick him in the house of detention Well, I'm on my way I don't know where I'm going I'm on my way I'm taking my time, but I don't know where Goodbye to Rose and the Queen of Corona See me and Julio down by the school yeah, one thing that comes to mind listening to that, like that, what the mama saw, the, like the lyric of that, just yeah. for like, and again, I don't generally try to give people writing tips because I'm, mm-hmm. as you know, not that good, but I think you can learn from the greatest lyric writers of all time, and I literally learned Bob Dylan, one of the only directions I ever got on something I was doing for him was no adjectives, and I thought, <laughs> what do you learn from, you learn people over rely on adjectives, yeah. he goes like nouns and verbs. Use nouns and verbs. Uh, and like what you can learn from Paul Simon, Paul Simon uses everything. Like he has a thesaurus. And yeah. he, but what he does that is unique to me is his, he's so thoughtful, mindful in his use of words, and he'll build a mystery, sort of like you're something evocative. You know, you know the mama saw something. Yeah. You don't know what it is, but right. you're already imagining your, your, you know, your head is like, creating a world he gets you to create what did she see david what did she see he is fantastic and there's like phrases going like up through graceland where there's some of the first times i was aware of like how great writing could be like uh he and he's aware of it like there's that collection one of the collections he did negotiations and love songs you know and i just remember like there's times when like you'll hear, hear a phrase in one of his songs and you'll go oh my god like he knows how good he is because he he'll use something like that as, as, a, a title, as a title, and you go, oh my god, it's it says it all. And that's from uh, that's from one of the Hearts and Bones songs. Yeah, isn't yeah. It? yeah. Negotiations are often confused uh, for one and the same. 
Uh, that's from. Uh, uh, that's from Train in the Distance. No, Hearts and Hearts and Bones. It is from Hearts and Bones. Yeah, I think it's from the song Hearts. Okay, and Bones. cool. Uh, that song we just heard, uh, me and Julio, was uh, engineered by Phil Ramone. Just that track on the album. Great, great track. Uh, we and there's it. other songs on that that people could check out. Like, yeah. uh, I think Elvis Costello was the one who pointed out to me in an interview, not name dropping, except when I am. But I think he said like peace like a river. Like listen to that sometime yeah. and like uh is it congratulations? Did you say don't tell me what to do, Costello? Exactly. <laughs> no, there's you know, I, I'm not a musician at all. And sometimes it's great when musicians tell you they go like someone I think Nancy Wilson uh from Heart was the one who told me, you know he's like the greatest guitar player of all time. Like forget everything else with right. you know you know about Paul Simon. And because it's like I grew up not a musician, thinking that you had to be a great guitar, electric yeah. wankery guitar player to be great. You know, it's like in the age of like, I did grow up, you know, around when Clapton was a guitar god and, you know, Beck, Jeff Beck. Yeah. I do remember all that. But the truth is like his acoustic work, he's one of the greatest guitar players well, of all time. There's a story in Sammy Hagar's book where him and Eddie are going to perform at, uh, Sammy and Eddie are going to perform at the Bridge School. I was there. And Paul wants Eddie to come out and play with him. He goes, oh, yeah. you're the great, you got to, and I guess he tries to teach Eddie a song on acoustic guitar and he, Eddie can't get right. it. So he just like throws his hands up and just like, all right, forget it. I, I was there with my <laughs> wife and I were there. That's, um, that's a great story yeah. though. Oh no. And I, we were absolutely there for that. I remember because it's like you, the it, it, two different worlds. Like yeah. I think Eddie Van Halen, I love the show sure. with Rob. Uh, yeah. Rob brought, you it. know, uh, uh, but I cannot believe how good that's what it is like in fact I will say that at this Grammy when they were doing the reunion uh Paul was being really good about sort of trying to make everything work mm -hmm. and Art Garfunkel who can be an interesting individual was sort of telling the director how to direct telling the sound guy how to do sound and at one point started to say something about guitar and I saw Paul Simon say if you say one word <laughs> about <laughs> guitar, and I, I thought that reunion was going away, and right. it didn't. Uh, thank God, it was great. But uh, he, I wouldn't tell him anything about guitar. He's unbelievable. Do you bring up Art Garfunkel when you interview him tomorrow? Uh, sparingly, but probably. You kind of have to. Yeah. yeah. Do you know Art Garfunkel is the cousin of Lou Pearlman? Do you know that? No. That was that's a uh, that's. Uh, I would really only ask just ask any that. final thoughts about Lou Perlman, <laughs> who I did know, and who was the creepiest guy I ever knew. He just passed, right? Uh, he died. <laughs> yeah. Past is for nicer people. That's true. Uh, okay, let's move into the, the There Goes Ryman Simon, which I think I'm calling this episode Ryman Paul Simon. That's what I'm going to call it. Okay. <laughs> Seems so, like uh, you could do better. Uh, well, Needs work. Yeah. Yeah. I'll think about it. Uh, so what do you got off of uh, Rhyme and Paul Simon? Or oh, you just play one, so let me start. Do you mind if I start? Yeah, please. Uh, let's hear, this. and I love this song so much. Uh, it's an advertisement, I guess, for Kodak. It's, it, it's funny. I think it actually, I remember buying, this is the first record I remember buying of Paul Simon's. Mm -hmm. In terms of, I remember going in whatever middle school or whatever, like spent, it's one of the first 
three or four records yeah. I ever. The first records I ever bought were like Elton John, Paul Simon, uh, a couple others. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think it was sort of not actually written as a commercial at all. No, no, I know. And then I think it sort of ended up, you know, being, it sounded like that. It's yeah. One of, it's so good. Kodachrome kicks off the album. When I think back on all the crap I learned. You didn't usually hear crap. No, no. It's a wonder I can think at all. My lack of education hasn't hurt me none. I can read the writing on the wall. Hold a throne. Give us those nice bright colors. Give us the greens of summers. Makes you think Yeah, that's a great tune. There's so again with Paul Simon with the, when you listen to this, there's so much instrumentation going on throughout these songs. Like you can hear s- new things all the time. Well, part of it is interesting. Like this would be the biggest distinction, one of the big distinctions between him and Bob Dylan. Paul Simon, Bob Dylan seemed to have in a certain level contempt for people who spent too much time on production. It was almost like at times an anti-production sort of fighting the producer. Yeah. Whereas Paul Simon, I think, has always been the art of recording. And it is so, so much a pioneer in that. Like working with Roy Haley, working with Phil Ramone, he was one of the, some of the most complex and artful productions ever. But it's not, um, it's not bombastic, though. No, very rarely. You know, interestingly, I uh, will get to Surprise album, and I was talked to him for that. I did a thing with him, and I think working with Brian Eno was probably one of the times he got closest to sort of not bombastic, but kind of like yeah. art rock and trying mm-hmm. to sort of do some new things in that world. Uh, but I think it's hard for him to. Uh, I think when I spoke to him for Stranger to Stranger, he actually said some of the lessons that he sort of picked up from Brian Eno, he processed finally for this record, like which is many years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like but I think, 10 years, I yeah. think, between those two albums. 2006. Yeah, and, it was actually 15. It was That record came after, was sort of reflected 9-11. So I think it's, yeah, like 12 years later. I'm pretty sure. Surprise is 2006. Right. I guess, yeah. You're so right. 10 years. Okay, fuck you. <laughs> no, but what I meant was that work was being done. That record was a couple of years of work. And yeah. that was he. A lot of the surprise record reflects him after 9 11. Mm-hmm. Like that sort of, that record was sort of reflecting that whole post 2001. So we're both right. <laughs> Damn <Okay>. it. <laughs> so what do you but got? But I'm the only one interviewing t- t- tomorrow in uh, the yeah, Grammy Museum. That's right. So maybe you could come if you want. Could, what? Yeah. Really? Could, how could, could that really happen? Well, I have to ask if I could bring anyone. I don't know. They haven't offered that. Don't tease me. Okay. You well, don't like asking, though. I don't like asking. I'm terrible at asking. What if you said that you needed to bring your assistant with you? And I could just hold your book of questions and then it hand it to you. What if you said you needed to bring someone and it was Garfunkel? I'm going to say Rody. Exactly. Rody's good. Exactly. I'm going to say Rody. It's got to be better than that show, Rody. Show Rody? Oh, no. Rody's. It's called Rody's. Yes. You don't need Rody's, though. You just need singular. (sighs) Rody. Yes. I only need one. I'm very humble. As we've made clear, if I can go to this thing with you tomorrow night, I will. I will not embarrass you. 
I wasn't worried about that. Okay, I just was preferring I just to bring a hot chick. <laughs> now, now he's worried about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna text nope. you every day about this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I've made a terrible mistake. You brought it Beyond up. I, I did here. not bring it up. I would not ask that. Uh, can we? Can we erase that? Copy yeah. that. Don't isolate it, Kyle. I'm gonna po- I'm gonna post that tonight as a bonus episode. Um, uh, I'm I'm gonna pick from Rhyming Simon. Uh, let's see, we're at Rhyming Simon, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, you did Kodachrome. I did. I'm gonna. I could go. It's hard to pick. Uh, Loves me like a rock. I was gonna pick because it, I'm not gonna. Don't play it. I was going to pick because I do think it's one of those things where it's like a Jewish guy writes a great gospel song mm-hmm, like, yeah. and not like a, like a pastiche or a parody of one. He right. just writes a great gospel song. See, that's the difference sometimes. What do I want to say? Maybe I don't want, I don't want to get into that. No, I don't, I, what I was going to say earlier was I don't think of Paul Simon and Neil, and Neil Diamond together because Neil Diamond kind of went Vegasy and kitschy for a while. And I think he still does that in his live performance where Paul Simon would just come out with jeans and a t-shirt and he still feels to me like he's just part of the band. Even though he's the focal point, he mixes in with these music. You know what I'm saying? Well, uh, interestingly, I talked at some length with Neil about Paul Simon once and I remember him going like, uh, they had all, he goes, they had all the Ivy League kids. I had the girls who went to less competitive colleges. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I think there was a certain like truth that's to that. That's good. Yeah, uh, that's I mean, a, I like it. But they're both literally very much. What's actually fascinating, and maybe this is a documentary that uh, we should do, is think about who's in that New York City public school system. Crazy of that moment. You know, Streisand. between Carol King, Streisand, Neil Diamond. It's mm. crazy. Plus, yeah. future Supreme Court justices. There's <laughs> just crazy groups of people. Simon and Garfunkel. Mm-hmm. It's all happening. That generation of American Jews really kicked ass. And yet, I don't think any of those, the graduates of that public school the system. Graduate? The, yeah, the graduates of that public school system. I don't think any of them went on to higher learning, did they? Well, oh no. Actually, quite to the contrary. Really? You know that Art Garfunkel went to Columbia and okay. was, I think, teaching math. Wow. Uh, and is kind of a genius and kind of crazy. Paul. Uh, now he can figure out how much more money Paul Simon makes than he does. <laughs> I figured that out once when uh, I wrote the uh, tour book and I had to invoice each of them separately. And Paul Simon sent the check before I put a stamp on the envelope. That's how quick <laughs> that was paid. Not so quick with the other guy. Not so quick. It's like, so anyway, who? What you learn about publishing? Tell me who else went to because I I, I always oh, no. imagine that they didn't. Oh no, but Paul went to law school actually, and then see, look, I uh, know. Uh, for a very few weeks, mm-hmm. and then realized I hate this. Which yeah. again, it's just another cultural thing that I relate to. Like that's probably why, on some level, like you feel Mellencamp early on, right? You are Bob Seger. Like you yeah. played a Bob Seger song on the show recently. That I had not gotten to ever. New York was it? Manhattan. Manhattan. Great. It was your wife? It was yes, a show with yes. your wife. Great song. And like, <laughs> I love it so much. But like, I and I think I wrote about that record. I think I interviewed uh, Bob Seger on that album. But uh-huh. I had no memory of yeah. Manhattan. I sort of stopped thinking he was writing songs that were of, of, of meaning mm-hmm. to me because uh, you feel Seger. You mm-hmm. were literally in my life. I feel 
Paul Simon. I'm a guy who went to school and almost went to law school mm-hmm. for no reason other than it seemed like... Well, you have that New York connection to Yes, I totally, I totally feel it. And I feel so many connections. Like, uh, uh, we're actually doing this, uh, I hate to spoil any mystery, on 9-11. Yeah. And the most meaningful work experience of my life was being the head writer for the Tribute to Heroes, the telethon after 9-11. And Paul was on that in New York uh, doing uh, Bridge Over Troubled Water, I believe. And it's like, I just feel his work. It's like in a different way than Bruce. Yeah. Th- those are the guys, they're my, they're feel like blood relatives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was in high school, you know, you, you wouldn't go to anyone's house and that they didn't have a copy of Night Moves. It was just the rural Pennsylvania small town where I was. That was something people, right. you know, gravitated towards this guy. No. So, so what do we got? Uh, oh, so I was going to play from Ryman Simon. Uh, instead of Love Me Like a Rock, which I love, just a song that people, some people don't know, but mm-hmm. those who know it, I think they think it's one of the most profound songs. I think it's, it was sort of the first time he, Paul Simon sort of, I think, caught a sense of the cynicism of the Watergate era in the song. And it's a beautiful song about America, but it's also not one that is a rah-rah patriotic song. It's a song that like in our Kaepernick era where people are debating these things, uh, I still love American tune. Many's the time I've been mistaken And many times confused Yes, and I've often felt forsaken And certainly misused Oh, but I'm alright, I'm alright Just weary to my bones Still you don't expect to be bright and born Vivant so far away So far away from home. I don't know soul who's not been Yeah, that that song just sounds like it's been around since since forever. And I think that's an example, and I rarely feel this about his solo work. That's a song that if Art Garfunkel and he had recorded that at that moment that would have been like Bridge Over Troubled Water. That's yeah. a big mofo of an American statement. It's major, which I, this is the only album I'd like, the next album I'd like to go first on, if that's okay. Sure, sure. Because that's the moment where they did reunite, really, for the first significant time. Uh, and as I understand it, uh, Paul Simon felt that uh, Art Garfunkel, who had made a couple successful first solo records that I like, and he, I think, liked, but he felt... There was really no grit to his solo work, Art Garfunkel. No, no, and no, it wasn't. He was, you know, recording standards and some Jimmy Webb yeah, great, stuff. Yeah, who I love yeah. as well. But and this, his voice yeah. is always amazing, but yeah. it's just not... You need some substance to it. Yeah. and uh, Catchy. So it needs to be a little catchy. There too. was a re- reunion hit for b- on both of their records. It was yeah. on Still Crazy, and I think it was on Breakaway, uh, which is a beautiful record of Garfunkel's. 
but I love my little ten, and I, I think, think there's some have to people pass this over to me because I don't think I uh, I think I forgot to put that in Kyle's. Playlist. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I got it here. But uh, I listened to it the other day, and I think it's a really interesting thought, interesting song still. And uh, that's uh, my little town. Correct. Yes. Okay. Go ahead, Kyle. I think we got it. Not playing? Might be the volume on your computer. Try it again. Like, this is the kind of thing that Paul Simon does. I'm already into this song. Yes. Right now. In my little town. Believing God keeps his eye on us all And he used to lean upon me As I pledged allegiance to the wall Lord, I recall my little town Coming home after school Flying my bike gates of the factories My mom doing the laundry Yeah, that's a great tune. These Paul Simon solo albums too, they're all like around 35, 36 minutes, 10 songs, no filler. I mean, these are if you if you only know the hit songs or the popular songs, I think you should really check these out because these are great albums absolutely and the thing is we're going into a f- you know some records where there were not really big hits and still this is a guy who was always doing something interesting on every every album i think uh i in fact still crazy is a huge was a huge record you know yeah. just sort of like is this the one you said you don't like that well no i like it a lot i barely li- i listen to it so much less than most like if you were to look at my uh, iTunes, you know... Where it li- says when last played. I, I, I listen to... I, I, I have that with the Beatles, too. I, I, you know, I probably have listened to Real Love by the Beatles more than almost anything in the last 20 years. And I listen to, uh, as we'll discover, Hearts and Bones is probably the record I listen to the most far and away. Yeah. Far and away. And again, away. it sounds like I'm kissing your ass, but I totally agree with you on that. I, that is my... I don't know what, maybe, I don't know if it was when it came out or what it is about that album, but I really, I even like the album cover and it's not a, it's not a. Yeah, tradi- which is an odd cover. It's a very odd cover. Yeah. It's like a, a picture of him that was taken off of a television screen kind of a yeah. thing. Was there a video that maybe that song is from? You know what? I actually think, it, maybe I'm wrong, but my memory is that it was something like, that was a period where he was very closely associated with Lauren Michaels. I think it was a design from like someone from that world that has... A little of that sort of Broadway video. Broadway video look, look. Yeah, yes. Yeah, it oh, kind of looks got? like, well, I don't have anything. I was just going to give my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> go it ahead. Just, it just kind of looks like uh, like the SNL intro. Yeah, yeah, it kind of yeah. does. Yeah, like uh, uh, host and musical guest, yeah. Paul Simon. Yeah, it somehow has a little of that look. Not even a close Don Pardo. Um, but okay, my first song that I'm just going to play, It's everyone knows this one from Still Crazy After All These Years. It's uh, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. She said it's really not my habit to intrude 
Furthermore, I hope my meaning won't be lost or misconstrued. But I'll repeat myself at the risk of. It's got to be Steve Gadd on drums, right? Fifty ways to leave your lover. Sounds like him. Fifty ways to leave your lover. You just slip out the back, Jack. Make a new plan, Stan. You don't need to be coy, Roy. Just get yourself free. Hop on the bus, Gus. You don't need to discuss much. Just drop off the key, leave, and get yourself free. Ooh, slip out the back. It's so interesting because that's an example of a song. Again, as someone who loved Paul Simon, I, as a kid, didn't like that mm-hmm. song. Scared me, or I had this weird feelings about it. Like when you were saying about Duncan, yeah, maybe it's because he was a very mature songwriter who wrote about sex and love and things in an adult. He was like he's one an of the old first, soul. Yeah. He's definitely no, an old soul. Well, not only that, but he's one of the guys. He's to me almost like a J.D. Salinger. He's one of those guys who pushed pop songwriting into being a more mature literary art form and i think as that age that i was listening to it lover was a scary word yeah 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 yeah. stan was my dad's name maybe i was afraid (laughs) of it it was right around the time i think my dad was leaving my mom and so it's like okay then that makes that totally makes sense i knew a guy named lee all of it the song kind of scared me or freaked me out as a kid and now like hearing it when i hear it on the radio or when just hearing it, it's great. It's brilliant. Yeah. I just have this sort of like childlike feeling of making it made me uncomfortable as a kid. There, uh, I don't know why. There's many. There's Todd Rundgren songs that scare me for some reason. I we don't know get why. You a woman? I just, <laughs> I just don't know why. But yeah, there are some songs where you're just like, oh, that kind of it makes me feel icky, and I don't even know why, but it yeah. does. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with just when songs hit you and your psychosexual. Uh, moments but yeah that's weirdly i love that song i didn't i didn't pick it because i still part of me just has this old childhood feeling about it do you have any other songs off this album no i think we should keep moving who do you you say was on drums on that i I think i assume gad did a lot of his work steve gad okay cool and in fact i saw steve gad was one of those guys who was like paul used the and I call him Paul because I'll be with him tomorrow sure, night. Just sure. a typical night for me. Maybe I'll call him Paul then, right? Because I'll be with him, right? Uh, or, I'm not, assuming. Or, or not. Mr. Uh, Simon? Exactly. Uh, um, Maybe I've, I'll I've, call this episode a, Simon Says. I've made a terrible mistake. Made a terrible error, yes. I'm going exactly. to be at your door tomorrow night. Just When do we leave? I can't bring you because you would be the obvious child. That would come up soon. <laughs> um, but uh, I... Uh, I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. We were talking about uh, fifty ways to leave your lover, and then we were going. I think you were moving on to the next. Moving album. on to the let's next. Let's move album. on. Yeah, let's keep moving. But uh, I just want to say on this album that "Have a Good Time" is great, which and I, had picked. I I do it for your love, which I had picked, and still crazy after all these years. The title track is great. Great song. So we are moving on. You know what? That's I have to say again. I'll just be honest. He's such a great writer that. I have this weird ambivalence about Still Crazy, which I think is a great song, and he did it on the Saturday Night Live thing. Yeah. I don't like when people say, I'm crazy. Right. I, I it's see like, it's just like in my own, like, in my own psycho, like, relatives. Like, it was like a period where I think that, was, that record was so culturally mm-hmm. big that I had relatives who would say, I'm still crazy after all these years. And like, I was like, no, you're not. You're not crazy. You're a fucking bore. <laughs> and so I have this weird feeling about that song. It, 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 it allowed people, it entered the cultural language in a way that 
almost no one does. Right. So I have associations with the song that make me not pick it. Yeah, uh, gotcha. So I didn't pick it. Now, before we move on to his next album, in 77, he released uh, Greatest Hits, Etc. Which had Slip Sliding Away. Which is a legitimate... Usually, a lot of times when people release the Greatest Hits with new songs... They don't... They're not, but this, that was a legit hit. Oh, oh, no. In fact, I don't know if we can play it. I, yes, I, I have this, it. This, yeah, I... I bought that record, and this is the exact period of my life where I'm sitting in my room with a, a tennis racket. As a guitar. As a guitar, strumming along to Slip Sliding Away, and there's a song called Stranded in a Limousine, yeah. which is yep. really good, but Slip Sliding Away is a hit. And again, it's one that at the time I probably liked and didn't love, and when I hear it now, I think it's just weird how, again, he's that uncle, older mm-hmm. uncle or father figure in my head, I didn't understand that feeling of it really describes life. Mm-hmm. You getting fur, you know, you think you're making progress and you're slip sliding away. That's more true about isn't that more true about life than like it is. just about anything and I didn't know that then. The that's, nearer your destination, the more you're slip sliding away. It's, it's like profound chills. beyond belief and that's what life's about. I didn't know it then and I don't even want to know it now, but it's a profound explanation of this something. is a life lesson for someone young like kyle a little shit like coughing piece of crap and i mean that with all due respect <laughs> let's hear slip sliding away slip sliding away slip sliding away you know the nearer your destination the more you slip sliding away i know a man He came from my hometown He wore his passion for his woman like a thorny crown He said, Dolores, I live in fear My love for you is so overpowering I'm afraid that I will disappear Great line. Slip sliding Yeah, I think that's one thing that the generation Dylan and he changed what a song could be about. They really did cut deeper about sort of existential ennui. I got to fucking sound like a rock critic, which I try not to ever, (laughs) but I do think he captures stuff in a deeper way. And there's like this melancholy that I really, it's sort of an early middle-aged melancholy that creeps into his work, starting with still crazy that, is almost too powerful to listen to now. Yeah, like whenever whenever I read how old he was when he wrote a certain song, and then I think of myself at that same age, he is like st- always 40 years a- ahead of me. Well, this is, I'll tell you, I had an interesting experience. Um, I'm not sure if it was because of Paul. I don't think so. But I got a call from his son, Harper, years ago when he put out his first sort of major label record. And a record that has four co-writes with Paul, or three or four, I believe, they're fantastic. And the record is fantastic. And when I was talking to Harper, I hung up and I, and Harper was putting this record out and it's a great record. Wishes and, is it called Wishes? And if someone, if Kyle, if you would look it up, Harper's yeah. song. Uh, the f- mm, 
I'm reading one's called Harper Simon and one's called Division Street. Okay, it's it's Harper Simon. Okay. There's a song called Wishes, and if you would just tell me what the title is that Paul wrote. Wishes and Stars. Wishes and Stars is one of my favorite songs ever. I don't know if we can maybe put slip, slip that into this conversation somehow. But in any case, when I was talking to him, I realized Harper was putting out this record when he was 30, you know, three or four or whatever. By that point, Paul Simon had already put out everything yes. up through uh, like Hearts and Bones yeah. or something crazy like that. And I'm like, he was a megastar. He, but he'd done a body everything. of work. Yes. And he's an overwhelming genius that way. It's yeah. like you, you, any other songwriter, like I was saying with that thing with like Vince Gill and Emmy Lou Harris and, and Brad and Carrie, it's like, it's daunting to think about the, the nature of what this guy has done. Did you find the song, Kyle? Yeah. Let's hear it. They all got more friends than they can use. Except me, cause I'm And interestingly, he sings a little like Garfunkel. Yeah. There are more wishes than stars. Beautiful song. How did these uh, how did these guys like Harper Simon and um, Jacob Jacob Dylan how do they how do they even begin to you know Julian Lennon they, you know they they go you know what I want to do this too when they they have this they probably have uh, their their dads are probably amazingly supportive of it because they've done it but yet they're they're in that the shadow is so big that's why I didn't go into the uh, cosmetic. Uh, beauty industry sales because my dad was the Paul Simon of that industry. You can't compete and with I that, say, David. You cannot compete with that. Like, no, no joke. Yeah. I, I, I think uh, Jacob, who I know, I've met all, a lot of these guys. Mm -hmm. Jacob, I know very well or quite well and I love and I'm a huge fan of the Wallflowers. Huge fan of Jacob's. Jacob was the smartest of any of them because he knew he should call it the Wallflowers. Yeah. That name, you know, Get, sharing that name. The only thing worse is being Frank Sinatra Jr. Yeah. That Jr., that's like, uh, God bless him, that's like a death warrant artistically yeah. to try to be, to follow, to yeah. be a singer, to be a boy singer who's the yeah. boy of Frank Sinatra. God bless, what a horrible, you know, sort of thing to try to follow. Even Sean Lennon, you know, the way Yoko says it, sounds like John. Uh, I never even... I weirdly never even thought Sean, of that. Sean, I, I, but I am, Sean and John. I'm the right age to have been a like like Julian Lennon. Yes. And that was like he with Phil Ramone, yes. interestingly, almost got away with it for the first yeah. record. He sounded so much like his dad. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think yeah. uh yeah, but Harper Simon, I was actually hoping that Harper would be at this Grammy thing because mm -hmm. I'd love to talk to him. Uh but yeah, it's sort of like that whole child of celebrity issue. Uh, I think Jacob played it as well under as difficult mm -hmm. circumstances you could have just about. Because yeah, I don't he, think I even knew that he was Bob Dylan's son until maybe it, it was brought up on MTV Music News or something. I was just like, I heard their songs on the radio as the Wallflowers. I'm like, oh, these are pretty good tunes. Well, not only that, I think Jacob had a special challenge of his dad being someone who wanted to avoid the publicity, like has always stepped away from mm -hmm. that and not wanted to be part of modern celebrity and the cult of personality. Yeah. Jacob's one of the nicest, smartest, uh, great artists, and I think he's handled it with dignity, which mm. is, he deserves so much credit. And I love him. He's a, 
what's weird is that I'm the biggest Bob Dylan fan. I named my son after Bob Dylan. Yeah. Although Jacob famously, when I, he said, what's your kid's name? I said, uh, uh, Andrew Dylan. He goes, gave me a look. And I'm going, not after you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, now we're jumping into this, this album that, um, isn't, uh, isn't one of my favorites. Yeah. Interestingly, um, it's kind of a, it's a film soundtrack, but it's, but it's also a solo album. Yeah, I'm one of the eight people I know who went to see One Trick Pony. I think I saw it on like VHS cassette at one point. I'm like, hey, I'm going to rent that Paul Simon movie. I went to the theater. Uh, I went, I think I might have dragged a date if I could scare one up at that point. Uh, or middle school or maybe a friend in, I don't know what year it was. But I think I snuck into, it was playing like at one or two theater or two theaters in the city. Rated R. Rated R because Mayor Winningham sort of nude i think or it's like a bathtub google, scene. google that uh, yeah exactly is <laughs> that's a whole website alone uh but it's not a bad movie it's not great uh rip torn is in it i don't Lou even read is in it what is the i don't even remember the premise of the movie do you can you my give memory, us a rundown yeah my memory of it i haven't looked it up but my memory is that it's about a musician who runs into trouble with his he's like a guy who's had a huge 60s hit basically Paul Simon, a Paul Simon guy, and in fact, the song that's like his "Sounds of Silence" in the movie or "Bridge Over Troubled Water" is a song called "Soft Parachutes." That's on, and it's sort of like him dealing with the record industry that wants him to be who he was, <clears throat> of fighting nostalgia, of dealing with record company politics. I think, if my memory is correct, Lou Reed is like a a jerky executive. What a great irony! Like, Did Paul write this movie? I think he. Di- you should look it up. Something. I, I know he, you, yeah, I, he, he wrote write, it. Did he direct he wrote it, it or someone else directed it? He wrote it and Robert M. Young directed it. Right. Robert M. Young, who okay. was, but it's like a sort of an art film director uh, who didn't, uh, I forget what that movie's called, a sort of Latin great movie around that time, if you look him up. Um, there's Short Eyes. Short Eyes, Grace. which was sort of a, uh, yeah, Short Eyes was in a very acclaimed movie. It's, it's, a, it's sort of an indie art drama with a hit song. Yeah. Because of, uh, and, do you want to go first? Uh, well, I'm just I I will play that that song, um, the hit, the big hit, and this is a, this is a huge hit. Yes, but this is uh this is late in the evening, and I I played this for my wife last night, and I said the line the first line you're gonna hear, I said this is uh this is exactly uh, the story of when I saw you. This first line. First thing I remember when you came into my life, I said I'm gonna get that girl no matter what I do. Well, I guess I've been in love before Once or twice I've been on the floor But I never loved no one the way that I love you And it was late in the evening And all the music seeping through but to me, But to me, this is, this is a song that there's nothing even close to this on the rest of the album, in my opinion. Yeah, I, the record, it's funny, is it? A, he was on fire with his band at this point because he sort of had, I guess, touring on the success of Still Crazy. Mm-hmm. He developed this band with a guy named Richard T who was on keyboard, Steve Gadd on drums. Yep. So the band is like, you know, on fire. Yeah. But in a weird way, I think it was a movie about a, him playing a guy with less talent than himself. Right. Uh, you know, so it was like a sort of so journeyman he, version of right. himself. So he couldn't be, he couldn't do as brilliant. And... Uh, I don't like, know if you have Soft Parachutes. Yeah. Which, like Soft Parachutes. Wasn't on the original release. It wasn't on the original release, no. but on as a bonus track on later ones. Maybe just hear that because this is just an interesting, I'm not saying it's a great song, but 
I think it's interesting to hear him trying to write basically a 60s anthem that would have been like, I always thought he was like standing in, not for him so much. It like could be like Universal Soldier by Donovan or something. Yeah, yeah. It was just him writing a song that had been meaningful for a generation. Soft parachutes, 4th of July And villages burning, returning The bodies all laid in a line Like soft parachutes Right, so this is sort of a Vietnam song yeah. that he, And I think it's very nice And then the other one I'd like to play a second of, if that's okay, sure. is Again, because I think it was sort of like Making a movie and has a, we'll see later, making mm -hmm. a play, those are challenges that can, even for a great artist, can yeah. be difficult. And this is a song about loving the movies uh, and also a song about, and this is a, a subject of significance, and this is maybe a question I should ask tomorrow, which I hadn't thought about, is God in Paul Simon. Like, God is an interesting, I, I think he's sort of a spokesman for a generation that sort of, especially, you know, again, I'm just relating to my own experience, like the generation of American Jews who sort of were very much connected to Judaism, except the part about knowing about God or feeling confident right. about God. So I think throughout his work, and there's like this gospel theme that goes through a lot of great work, but it's sort of like, I think part of what I love about Paul Simon is he might be one of the, along with writers like Saul Bellow and Philip Roth or whatever, it's like Jewish American writer writing about the first generation that maybe isn't sure there is a God. Uh, so I just love uh, this song, little song called That's Why God Made the Movies. Well, I laid around in my swaddling clothes Until the doctor came and turned out the lights Then I packed my bag That's why God made the movie. Just the groove is really, really nice. See, this is an album now. To, uh, this week, I'm going to have to pull this out and give it another listen because sometimes something that doesn't resonate with you years ago, you yeah. you might have finally uh, maturity wise caught up to it. So maybe yeah. maybe I'll dig this now. But this is one that um, does not get us very many spins. No, it's not a perfect record at no. all. And it's funny, even you know, as life happens to you. You go back, like, just when I got asked to do this and I got permission from my son to do this uh, thing with Paul Simon mm -hmm. tomorrow, I did go out to Freakbeat Records, which is not far from here. No, not at and all. I I'm going to go there after we're done here today, for sure. <laughs> oh, really? And I just bought vinyl of uh, of Hearts and Bones, which is a whole nother You posted way. a picture of that. Yeah, I was How so much excited. was that? Look, look $7.99. Like, oh, that's not bad. Pretty good. Yeah. It wasn't new, but it it sounds great. I even have a copy of that on vinyl, and I don't even have a turntable, but I do. I love it. Just I have to have it. It's it's good stuff. So no, he, and it's actually it's exciting because my younger son is into vinyl, and like it was good to buy it. And then when I got home, I was like that feeling of I pulled out the sleeve to look at the sleeve, mm -hmm. and I have never seen that sleeve because oh, really? when the record came out, CDs already existed. Yeah, and I've always listened to it on CD, so it's like oh my god, it's a bigger sleeve. You know, it's like. 
that full size. Yeah. That's, that was, again, I couldn't get laid when I was listening to Paul Simon, but I could open a record, and that was as probably sexual thought as I ever... <laughs> I think there were times when I opened Elvis Costello records or I, I, I uh, you know, Clash records. Mm-hmm. At that moment in my life, I probably came when I opened uh, <laughs> premature, prematurely, as I would for many years to come. Well, here we go. We, we are to the album. Can we talk more about my sexual feelings? Uh, maybe off. Uh, okay. All maybe right. when, uh, after the show. Yes. Um, yeah, this is. Uh, I'll start with the the song "Allergies," which uh, which which is your least favorite. Yes, but you don't not like it. It's no, just no. your least favorite. In fact, I'm really even right now. I want to hear it again and get past it. Okay, let's hear "Allergies" in the. In I have the, an allergy in the to allergies. My hands can't touch a guitar string. My fingers just burn and ache. My head it seeds with my bodily needs, and my body won't give it a break. My heart can't stand a disaster My heart can take a disgrace But my heart is allergic to the women I love And it's changing the shape of my face Allergies, allergies Something's living on my skin Doctor, please, doctor, please Open up I just want to know how Simon, I mean, um, how Art Garfunkel figured into these songs. You know what I mean? I think, I think the one conversation I ever had with someone who's heard it is, gave me the sense that he didn't is the problem. Is that in a way, a lot of it, Paul was at that point no longer writing for the other voice. Like Mm -hmm. that's the thing about Townsend and Daltrey. Like there's songs I love Townsend's voice. I do but, too. He's but, got a great singing voice. Right. But he is. I listened to White City on the way in today. Right. But it is a different color than what Daltrey can yeah. bring. In other words, there's songs like uh, I Can See for Miles. Mm-hmm. There's a cocky, the cocky songs that Townsend writes, he's not a cocky individual and he doesn't play that w- as well. Whereas he's not outwardly cocky. Yeah. No. So I think he's but, arrogant. But like the bravado and the sort of like, that not knowing what you don't know. I think mm-hmm. Townsend is a very intelligent voice. He always sounded to me like Richard Thompson, uh, from who I love as well. But in any case, I think that's my guess, is when you listen to Hearts and Bones, Art Garfunkel doesn't figure as well in it. And also some of it is his uh, divorce. I think it was written sort of in the wake of his divorce from Carrie, Carrie Fisher. Fisher. So I think it's sort of like he was writing some very personal stuff and it didn't, translate as well to mm-hmm. sort of like a duet yeah or whatever you want to call it i mean here's like a weird thing that i thought about just the last week or so because i went to, as you know i think i told you i went to see hall notes mm-hmm. yeah it's just like we're living in a different era for like groups that involve two guys spending decades standing next to one another doing expressing feelings yeah i think fortunately like I don't think either one of us, and Kyle's of a different generation. That and my kids are of even a different more generation of a different generation. Than Kyle. Where I think even people who were not homophobic had just a there was a cultural discomfort with two guys yeah. spending a lot of time singing about their feelings, uh, and it was like this weird thing of like. There was a cultural homophobia. Well, and some of the Hall & Oates album covers didn't help. Right, no, and they, to, to, no, 
No, that's you know. and the, yeah. W- weird is it because of Bowie and Alice Cooper? There was other yeah. stuff going on in, in the art, but I think in a weird way, I think that has figured into things. That's even like uh, I think about that with group names as opposed to solo careers, where a lot of solo careers don't go as well. In our generation of fans, we were more comfortable loving a group because it's it was it was more comfortable for us, I think, yeah. to go, I love the fucking who, <laughs> than to go, or like, for next generation, even, I, I love, love England, Pearl, England or, Dan and John Ford Coley. <laughs> which I do. Yeah, I do too. Uh, frankly. <laughs> but I think it's like, it's, it's easier to put a poster of Pearl Jam right. than it is to put Eddie Vedder's face, yeah. you know? And I think, fortunately, all that stuff has gone away. Right. But I think there was that in our yeah you would never time. have hung a a dude would have never hung a hollow notes poster up even if you love them i'm i i did put a photo i did it at cornell uh sophomore year put up prince dirty mind mm-hmm. in a g-string poster in my dorm <laughs> and my dorm i'm actually in my apartment and i definitely got a lot of looks mm-hmm. and i was like i love this guy and it's like okay you really can you take the poster down i think my <laughs> apartment mates were no so. i uh in, in my college dorm rooms i would pound two nails into the wall so whatever album i was playing i could put the album like rest it on right. the two nails and so when people walked in it would be like now playing now playing <laughs> like they cared but exactly. i wanted to it's like when i put this logo up on this tv who cares but uh i like it that looks good i love the logo uh, uh, aaron, that? aaron gould did that one aaron gould yeah Everyone always says, why no 8-track? I'm like, well, we can get everything on there. Oh, so, okay, that's... So, the guy who does the show notes, Andrew... Kirk? Rich? Rich? Andrew, Rich. Andrew Rich. Okay, I think he hates me. I just want to say that. No, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true at all. Uh, I think so. Now, you were, just ta- you were talking about how your kids are a different generation from my kids, Kyle. My kids, and my, my daughters are a different generation from your kids. So, it's, we're still connected with music the whole way down the line, which is cool. Yeah, no, I think that's one of the only things, like when we go through this election, which can, like I've hit this weird point in the election where I'm, I was sort of loving following it and I just hit this moment of like, I can't even enjoy, it. it's miserable. It is I'm, miserable. I, I, I don't like what it's saying about America and all that and I got very depressed about what it says about our country and how divided and fucked up we are, especially here on 9-11, mm-hmm. thinking about how how many places we've gone backwards. And, yeah. And but I do think one of the only things I'm happy about is when I look at my kids, they don't even understand homophobia. No, they don't even understand racism. Nope, it's like a joke. It's like it's stupidity yeah. to them, and like to the point where they led me along. Like I remember a different election. Whenever it was, it was not that long ago. Maybe it was Obama. When Obama was first running, right, he was being asked about gay marriage, and mm-hmm. my kids early on said, "Like, what do you think?" And I'm like, "Well," and I started doing like. President Obama, yeah. I think, at the time was like equivocating, like, uh, well, I believe there should be union, da, 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 da. And like, my kid said, are gay people equal or are they not? And I was like, of course they are. Yeah, yeah of course. And so I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, you know, it totally, my opinion changed. As I was playing tennis, I was like, I think I got to stop. I got to detach from this election. I have to not watch <laughs> stuff and I have to not tweet about it. It's so hard. Because it makes me uncomfortable but Plus, i did i did i did i did tat like a couple months ago i'm just like i'm not following donald trump on twitter anymore and i'm, I'm not gonna because i was engaging way too much and um my wife was like yeah this is too much and i was I talking go, about not I being go. able to engage with hillary clinton and her <laughs> she's a bigot no let's move on did you uh now is this the first election your oldest son is able to vote for president in 
yes. Oh, that's pretty neat. That's fun. Yes. Well, he's. You can be. Eighteen. Eighteen to vote now. <laughs> so he wasn't eighteen. No, four no, years no, ago. No, 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 definitely not. No. Okay, he, cool. He can vote now. Excellent. All right, Hearts and Bones, our favorite Paul Simon album. What do you got? Nineteen eighty-three. Uh, I I will say. Let me stipulate. Other than allergies that you already did, mm-hmm. which I now I loved hearing that, and Al Demiola, who does the Wicked Guitar oh, Solo, amazing. He's my was played in Teaneck, New Jersey. Every like my whole childhood was looking up ads of like Italian restaurants where he was playing jazz. He's sort of like the local. He was literally the local guitar <laughs> guy in Northern Jersey. I could pick every song from this record, and I will just pick one that I think, uh, unless we can do two, I'll pick one we that can do two. Oh, one that's a standard that. I don't think it has become a standard, but I am here to tell you it's a standard. It's a, one of the greatest songs written ever, in my opinion, Train in the Distance, which uh, I think it's, again, one of his best songs yeah, ever. Yeah, great tune. She was beautiful as southern skies the night he met her. She was married to someone. He was doggedly determined that he would get her. He was old. From time to time Tip his heart But each time she withdrew Everybody loves the sound Of a train in the distance Everybody thinks it's true Everybody loves the sound Of a train in the distance Everybody thinks it's true Like just as a Example of great writing that I can't even explain. He, everybody loves a train in the distance. Everybody thinks it's true. Like that's a line. Yeah, it doesn't even make that much. Like you literally think yeah, you have to think. What think does he true, mean by that? And it's better than just witty. It is poetically true. It's like he has like he is a poet because I, I, I think there's like, like, I'll just say for me it's always like. He's writing in the age where there's more sense of irony and distance and also uh, a sense of not knowing what's true. Mm -hmm. Like in that starting with Still Crazy, he's writing that post-Wordergate era where we don't know what to buy and what not to buy. And to me, that lyric is like, everybody loves a train in the distance. Everybody knows it's true. It's like something real. He's like searching for, and that's like something that's shot through his work like Graceland. Like, which to me is one another one of the greatest songs ever written. Yeah. Because it's like, here's a guy who I think was going through some stuff again in his life. And it's like a road trip song, but it's like looking for Graceland. And it's like, okay, he's literally making a trip, I believe, to Graceland. But it's also looking for grace, looking for God. All these big ideas that a lot of writers, when they write to big ideas, sound like idiots. Like... uh, I'll even give an example where the other greatest Paul in history is Paul McCartney. Who we did an episode on too, the two right. of us. Yeah. But like when Paul wrote after 9-11, he wrote the song like Freedom, Freedom yeah. right? Which I don't know if you like it. I, I think it's a terrible song. I don't like it song. at all. Because it was it's Paul trying to forced. write about a big yeah. thing. And it's like, that's a hard thing to do. It's much and, easier to and do. And he probably, he probably could have written a song about the big thing, but this was like a rushed a rush job. Like I need right. to write a song right now. Yeah, no, and I don't mean it as a put down at no, all. No. Paul McCartney. I just mean that's where Paul Simon to me is epically talented in that I think because he's I think he's an intellectual more than and or or a 
just one of the most intelligent guys to ever do this. He'll come up with something like Train in the Distance. And then uh, my and, other one... Went, and his voice is beautiful on oh. this song. I mean, it's... So, again, as my, I want to hear Garfunkel on these songs. I, I just want, I want to know how that fits into this. Do you think if they ever release it with the Garfunkel tracks, it's called Hearts and Bones and Garfunkel? <laughs> I would love it. <laughs> that would be good. Or uh, Arts and Bones. Arts and Bones. Kyle. That's good. Let me, uh, I'm going to play another one and then you yeah. can play another. Yeah, yeah, so we'll, yeah. now, now my next song, it's more in the vein of allergies, but it doesn't mean that I like, that's the thing about this album. You get, you get these, if these, you're playing cars or cars, I'm going to be very, I'm not, but I like cars. Or, you know what I mean? But that's the thing about this album. You get, you get songs like the ones, the two I'm yes. playing and then you get songs like the one we just heard. Yeah. And, uh, and it's so there's like, but, but it doesn't mean that I like the faster songs better. I like every song on here, but I just, uh, I saw what you picked. So I wanted to pick different stuff. So I'm playing uh, when numbers get serious. Love it. I have a number in my head. No, I don't know why it's there. When numbers get serious, you see their shape everywhere. Dividing and multiplying. Exchanging with ease When times are mysterious Serious numbers are eager to please At the time, Rolling Stone gave this uh, four out of five stars. Oh, no. I, I think it's... Deservedly so. I love it. And interestingly, I because I, I played Training the Distance before, I won't play Hearts and Bones, which is to me a similar masterpiece of title yeah. track. But uh, I think you identified it as Think Too Much A, which... To yeah, me, that's what it's called on the album. Yeah, the, think there's too much like the fast and sort of slower yeah. version. I love both, but I'm going to play the fast one because uh, I don't think anyone knows this song. I think it sort of disappeared. And mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons I love it is... I think it nails who Paul Simon is and it nails the modern dilemma for many people. It's like maybe he's like a very thoughtful person who's aware maybe I'm overthinking everything. Yeah. And there's sort of a slower take at this song. And it's like two different songs, two, really. It's like Synchronicity 1 and 2. Yes. They're two totally different but songs. much better. <laughs> okay. uh, and this is Think Too Much A. Same year, 83. I had a childhood that was mercifully brief I grew up in a state of disbelief I started to think too much when I was 12 Going on 13 Me and girls from St. Augustine Up in the Mesopotamia Think about God, yeah Maybe I think too much Maybe I think too So cool, and I, I'm not trying to think if that was Nile Rodgers or someone playing guitar. I forget something like that. They're on. They uh, he's on here. So oh, um, and that's Bernard like, Edwards is on here, and Steve Ferron. I mean, just tons of people. Well, I think part of the thing with this record, maybe why it wasn't a hit, just the timing of everything, mm -hmm. where it was going on in music at the time, uh, it was a difficult decade for many artists yeah. uh, of a certain age. Uh, but I think part of it also was, I believe it's the only record he produced. It. I think Lenny Warrenker 
did it with him, uh, and then there's like four producers. This, on but there's here. other producers: Roy right? Haley, uh, Russ Teitelman, Lenny Warner. Yeah, kind it of may have struggled for some people. It may be. I love it completely, but maybe it didn't sound as cohesive, cohesive yeah. as some of his other records. Yeah, and maybe a but little bit, uh, maybe a little square. Maybe Paul Simon was considered square in 1983. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, well, because again, it was MTV was yeah. the early era of MTV, so it's like he wasn't dressing up like Boy George. He no. was, you know, it just sort of. And he didn't have a mask. He doesn't have a masculinity like a Springsteen. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to say that to him. Now you definitely can't go. I well, I'm not going to say that. I think he's very. It'll be on a T-shirt, macho. but I won't yeah. say it. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I don't know why. Yeah, this and yeah, it's considered a commercial kind of failure. This album. Oh no! This was uh, coming after One Trick Pony, which was uh, definitely not a big hit. No, this uh, was not the this boost was, he needed. This was the thing that I think led to the next great second coming. In fact, if it's okay with you, can we just hear a little of Hearts and Bones, which is another one of my favorite yeah. songs ever. And then this is like, you know, he was briefly married to Carrie Fisher. Mm. Uh, Princess Leia for you nerds. Yes. And uh, has one of my favorite Jewish references in all of music history where he, what does he say? Well, let's just hear it. Okay. One and one half wandering Jew. Free to wander wherever they choose Are traveling together in the sangre de Cristo In the blood of Christ mountains of New Mexico On the last leg of a journey they started a long time ago The arc of a love affair Rainbows in the high desert air Mountain passes slipping into stones Hearts and bones There's, I think recently, um, my, because my son, my older son, as I told you, has gotten into him. Mm -hmm. Like, I've, he's writing for like a school paper and we talk writing now every once in a while. And I'll just use examples of Paul Simon more than anyone as an example of what great writing is like the arc of a love affair yeah is like that's a great line in a phrase it tells you a lot about love like Mm -hmm. that love affairs have an arc Mm -hmm. you know it's like it's just so friggin it's like negotiations and love songs are often it's just brilliant uh before we move on I wonder if this if this would have said Simon and Garfunkel across the top it probably would have been a bigger hit just for the just and have the same picture. Say have the same picture. Art would have been on the back, but no, um, no doubt. This, no, without no, a doubt. In fact, there was buzz. This, I mean, the, it was out in public that there was going to be. Yeah, I, I read about it in Rolling Stone magazine. I think. Yeah. No, and it's this weird thing that I, I think about it. I thought about it today, um, listening this morning on the walk into tennis. I was listening to some this old friends reunion concert album they mm-hmm. did. And I wrote the liner notes for it. And on that record, the Everly Brothers, they bring out in the middle of their in the middle. set. Yeah, I saw that. Which is the coolest tour. way to do it. Like, not to make the their heroes open, open for them. them. It's like, we're going to tell a story, bring them out, feature them, and then we come back out. Yeah. Which what a great what gig for the Drake Everly Brothers. Future did. It was, yeah. I feel, and maybe it's probably a show that wouldn't do well for your numbers. I will tell you, I think the Everly Brothers are the most criminally overlooked mm-hmm. group in all of rock history like i'll work on things about elvis or chuck berry and buddy holly all my favorites yeah. jerry lee 
I think the great untalked about contribution is the Everly Brothers and direct line to Simon and Garfunkel and a direct line to the Beatles. Completely like yeah. maybe the most influential group for both of those acts. You know, well, I'm surprised what what artist shows we do and and the response I get because people would be like, I didn't really know their that music or I didn't know this. So that's that's something to think about down the line. Everly Brothers. I love the Everly Brothers. I thought it was so great what they did. I did too. I thought yeah. that was classy. Yeah, very very classy. Gives them a, it puts them in the spotlight more than opening for it. That's right. that's that's an insult. And it made them look younger. That's true. It certainly did. Although those Everly Brothers still had that great head, great head to hair. I, uh, by total coincidence, I was a student in England, you know, high school, when they started their reunion, mm-hmm. and they did it at the Royal Albert Hall, and I was there as a. I, Wait, whose reunion? The Everly. The Everly Brothers. Brothers. Okay. When they they did their reunion in the '80s, and I was there as a kid. I mean, as a student, and I took all my money, and I went to the worst seat behind. The hat behind them, and it was one of the greatest things I'll ever see, far and away. Ja- sold out, jammed. Sold out, royal. No, they were again more appreciated there. Over than there, here. yeah. And my whole life, I've been trying to find ways to honor them. We did a John Lennon tribute, and I, the, uh, Ken Ehrlich, who mm-hmm. you know now, yeah. I that was my only time I've ever begged. I said, please, let's get the Everly Brothers to sing a John Lennon song, please, and they wouldn't. They are there. Those guys had a very complicated relationship yeah. and it didn't happen. And it's one of the, and then, you know, it's a shame. Uh, you know, then, then it was impossible because we lost one of them. Yeah. But to me, they're the untold great story of everything I love in music. They're the, they're the missing link. Cause literally the Paul and John briefly called themselves the foreverly brothers. They referred to themselves <laughs> as the foreverly brothers. And, you know, as people probably know, like, Simon and Garfunkel, when you get to that show, when will I be, you know, uh, uh, not when will I be loved. Bye Bye Love. Bye Bye Love is like, you know, they they put it right out there on Bridge Over Trouble Water and they put it right out there on their reunion tour that they were disciples. And that was cool. Yeah. Um, Okay. And I believe when we get to Graceland, I think, is it one of the Everly Brothers sing? They sing on Graceland. They both sing? Yeah. That's what it says. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this has a million people. Linda Ronstadt's on this album. So many people yeah. are on this album. But this is the this is the juggernaut. This is the the comeback of all comeback albums. I mean, he produces it himself with I think uh, maybe George Haley. Roy, I'm sorry, Roy Haley might uh, might be the engineer on it. But he gets uh, sole um, production credit. Is Paul Simon? So this is his baby. Yeah, this is uh, and it pays one off. of the most perfect records. In music history, and one of the most ambitious, one of the most controversial for some people. I don't. There's moments when I think, in my musical life, what I've seen happen, that high point of music, of popular music, which is what I like. It's like I, I mean, I have an interest in jazz, mm-hmm. and I know very little about classical, mm-hmm. but like I think the best music ever got is like popular music his like Graceland, some uh, Earth, Wind and Fire, because they were bringing in some of the mm-hmm. Stevie Wonder songs, the key of life all around that like 70s, 80s era. Yeah, that's going to be when we go down and talk about the height of recording. It's going to be those Stevie Wonder records. There's a famous story, which I'll have to bring up to Paul Simon tomorrow, which is a year he won, I think, for Still Crazy. He got up there and said, one of the greatest acceptance speeches of all time because first I want to thank Stevie Wonder for not putting a record out this year. Yes, I, think I, think I remember that. Absolutely brilliant. Seeing it, yeah. One of the, that's 
the I don't remember. You know me. I've been on most every award show in history. That's the that's the greatest acceptance speech I've ever heard. Yeah, I remember back even as a kid. I remember back then, Stevie. Even though he wasn't something I listened to, uh, I did own songs in the key of well, life. In your defense, you're a virulent racist, so <laughs> you, that that's why. Uh, I've told I've said this many times before, but I've uh, I did have songs in the key of life because I loved Starsky and Hutch, and and Starsky would always play. Stevie Wonder when he had girls over. Is that true? That's true, yeah. I do not Yeah, remember. and I'm like, well, I, gotta, I have to get that album then because that seems like that's the way to I'm go. I'm going to have to watch Starsky and Hutch. Oh, Starsky and Hutch is amazing. Not the movie. I'm talking about the show. Yes. All right, so let's, uh, let's jump right into Graceland. I want to jump in with the song that closes out the album. It's called All Around the World or The Myth of Fingerprints. The sun gets bloody and the sun goes down Ever since the watermelon And the lights come up on the black pit town Somebody's there but you better think to do Well it's not just me and it's not just you This is all around the world Over the mountain, down in the valley I like, I like closing it out, the album out with a party I just, uh... I love it. The drums on this are so, what do I want to say? Well, no, but throughout his career, like we, you heard late in the evening earlier, which is like yeah. this moody album about a moody movie about, yeah. you know, midlife crisis and careers mm-hmm. and all this stuff. Right. But that's what I think the dynamic in his career is that he's, music is the joy of his yeah. life and he puts it in everywhere. So that like, like Graceland is dealing with some serious stuff and Definitely. midlife crisis, like a lot of his stuff. But yeah, it has that. Uh, in fact, uh, I just feel in such joy in the music. And f- it's, again, like whatever controversies have been along the way, it's like, I love like the fact that you would see him on TV with Lady Sis Black Mambazu, yes. just like finding the common ground of music and its place in our lives. Uh, I will play first, I Know What I Know, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. She looked me over and I guess she thought I was all right All right in the sort of a limited way for an off night She said, don't I know you from the cinematographer's party I said, who am I to blow against the wind? I know what I know There's a there's an episode of the TV series uh, Classic Albums yeah. that covers this album and it's all the, I love all those but yeah. this one's exceptionally good if you can find it. Yeah, I think I owned it for a while. I yeah. do I do love that. Uh, we are we've been have we been recording for how long, Kyle? Uh, almost two hours. Yeah. Oh my god. So I think we should go to one song from records now. All right. Well, I mean, one song's each. We shouldn't go, because okay. we could go, we could play all of Graceland. We could. Uh, my other song was, uh, was Diamonds on the Soles of Her Shoes. Not so good. apology. <laughs> no. Uh, I had, yeah, I had Graceland and You Can Call Me Al, which are very obvious, but perfect and brilliant songs. And uh, You Can Call Me Al had a very funny video with uh, Chevy, Chevy Chase. Chase. And Probably the greatest Chevy Chase movie of all time is that video. Because him and Paul are, are good friends yes. also. And it's just funny to see them stand next to each other. Yep. 
and um and in the video Chevy Chase starts to lip sync so he kind of just steals yeah Paul's thunder which is probably it probably wasn't that's probably that probably happened yeah and they're just probably like yeah let's just do it like that yeah that was also a moment where i think around that era if i remember correctly it's like that Broadway video, people started making videos. I think that was a Broadway video kind of Saturday Probably King, was, yeah. Night Live. And then George Harrison had a similar thing with like uh, uh, for... Uh, uh, got My Mind Set on yeah, You. Yeah, Got My Mind Set yeah. on You. Like these sort of funny videos yeah. that worked to keep older artists yeah. on MTV. Yeah, where George would... Uh, the, the the dance double comes in yeah. and does it, the dance yes. and the flip. That, um, okay, we're going to move on. Uh, look, everyone knows Graceland, so you're right. We don't have to yeah. dwell on Graceland. It's an amazing Grammy Award winning album. Uh, now then the follow-up to it was rhythm of the saints where I felt like he was trying to trying to recreate the success of Graceland but with a little side trip to Brazil yeah yeah and it doesn't work as well obviously it didn't work as well for me as Graceland but my um, I had the same song as you did so you want to start with obvious child let's do it. I mean that was the sort of hit yeah uh, and I think it's fantastic. It, it is fantastic. And it's, again, one of those, listen to the lyrics, because they're he's now but it's drilling set, down on being yeah. so evocative like and putting things together that don't... Like, that's the thing about Graceland that worked, was he put his Jewish New York ennui into this sort of African music, mm-hmm. and you realize we're all... I don't want to say we're all the same, because you can get in trouble for that, but the common ground that we can find. And this record, listen to this. It's literary. The lyrics to Obvious Child are literary. Well, I'm accustomed to a smooth ride Oh, maybe I'm a dog who's lost his pride I don't expect to be treated like a fool no more I don't expect to sleep through the night So people say lies, lies, lies But I say why, why deny the obvious child? Why deny the obvious child? And then remembering a road sign I'm remembering a girl when I was young Said, these songs are true, these days are ours, these tears are free. The cross is in the ballpark. Cross is in the ballpark. Yeah. Unbelievably cool lyric that, again, there's God, there's baseball, because mm-hmm. I think for him it's like baseball and uh, God yeah. <laughs> and music. They're all the important things in life. For me, the, 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 the thing that bummed me out about this album is the obvious child set me up for for an album that I thought was going to be as good as Graceland, and then I, I don't think the album's as good as that song is. I think that's it's true, but no, it's like that's the weird thing. No, no other album in history is nothing as good could as Graceland. Be. Right. So other than if you put out songs in the key of life, so, but because but because he chose to do sim, something similar sounding, at least in this first single, right. especially, I was like, oh my god, this is going to be this is going to be Graceland too. Right. Um, yeah. My, no, uh, I, 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 but even like I have to say, like how great the writing is. That title, "Why Deny the Obvious Child?" Yeah. It's sort of it's like okay, that's how you write if you're a poet, and I'm not. But like, mm-hmm. why deny the obvious, comma child, or are you or why or why deny the obvious child? Yeah, it's like okay, it's such deep, weird, interesting subtleties to what he writes. I can't, I can't figure out how you get that smart. Uh, I'm going to play the song I'm going to play actually had a, a video that featured Steve Martin and Chevy Chase in it. And this is for the song called Proof. Some people are going to call you up, tell you something that you are. 
So there's, you know, those are two upbeat songs, but then there's songs like Born at the Right Time's a great tune. Cool, Cool River. Cool, Cool River is a good song. Yeah. So, um. No, it's a really good record. It's, it's a good just, record. It's just, yeah. It's, it's following. Following Graceland. Nothing you can do about it. Then we go into a difficult era. Uh, the Cape Man. Is the worst superhero ever. Yes. Yeah, you. <laughs> the Cape Man I saw. I, I'm, again, like, this shows you I am a fan in that I, Paid to see One Trick Pony as a young person. I'm probably the only young person who can say that. And then The Cape Man, I, I, I think it must have been, I don't know what year it came out. 97 is when the album came out. But yes. by the way, that's, that's seven years between albums for Paul. And that's, that's a lot of time. That can, that can you know, not going to kill Paul Simon's career, but that's a lot of time to be out of the public eye. Yeah, and I think Cape Man took a lot of that time, like Broadway often does for people. Mm-hmm. And... I don't want to say the numbers, but I've heard how much money he spent of his own money doing it. I think it was a huge investment spiritually, economically, in every way. And it didn't become a success for him. It's not a record I go back to much. No. I will say, when I had a conversation with him a couple of years after this, I was talking, as I always do to anyone who will listen, about Hearts and Bones. I go, like, and Hearts and Bones is a masterpiece. It's being rediscovered. He goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, and you know, a lot of people are rediscovering Cape Man. I go, yeah, not me. Uh, I, 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 but so, yeah, uh, I'm not going to, I will play one. Do you have a Cape Man song? Um, I do not have a Cape okay, Man song. So we, we don't have to. We can skip it if you want. Well, let, let people hear, because maybe, let's play yeah. one so people might go yeah. and, like, uh, if I was going to play one, I would have played Bernadette, maybe. I like that song. But yeah. go ahead. What one do you have? I, I had uh, Trailways Bus. Yeah, and this is a good one. Very good pick. Oh, we don't have it? No, you didn't put it in. Oh, jeez. That's okay. But we don't have to play it. No, we'll play it. Trailways Bus. David's favorite song. Gotta play it. If I scroll down here, I don't we even should say that the show had a, originally it was going to have like a Broadway score, like most things or like many albums. But what ultimately came out, and I think that did eventually come out as a thing you could listen to on Apple or iTunes. Mm-hmm. But this, the record that came out was Paul singing versions of yeah. a lot of the stuff. Oh, like a, I forget, what do they call those things? I know what you're talking about. With a magazine and a sleepless pillow Over the crest of the mountain the moon begins its climb And he wakes to find he's in rolling farmland The farmer sleeps against his wife He wonders what their life must be It's a nice picture. Yeah. No, it's a, I think the thing he had to probably struggle with was using the songs to tell a story in some more literal way than he was, that, that, that didn't totally work. I saw the play. It wasn't like it was a bad. Yeah. It just, it was a very ambitious and artful thing. He, I think he co it with a guy named Derek Wolcott, who was like mm. a real, you know, 
sort of famous playwright uh, in his world. It just didn't coalesce completely, and the music was really yeah. interesting. There's a Jose Feliciano vocal on Born in Puerto Rico, I think it was, or something. And uh, and and you know, you know, props to him for creating something new. I mean, it could have been. It would be so easy to do one of those jukebox musicals with Paul Simon. The, no, this was the opposite. This it's was totally about, opposite. It was about a, a very specific older story about race and Puerto. You know, Puerto Rico is yeah. very, very ambitious yeah. and. Probably a very difficult experience. For yeah. Me. So we should move on. We're moving on to um, "You're the One," which I I do really like this album. I like this album a lot. And you picked this is one of my favorite Paul Simon songs ever. Old. Yes, I yeah. just love it. It's so yeah. catchy. It's it's two minutes and twenty seconds. Right. And um, it's let's great. just play this old and funny and funny. The first time I heard Peggy Sue, I was twelve years old. Russians up in rocket gyms and the war was cold Now many wars have come and gone Genocide still goes on Buddy Holly still goes on But his catalog was sold First time I smoked, guess what? Paranoid First time I earned satisfaction I was young and unemployed Down the decades every year Summer leaves and my birthday's here And all my friends stand up and cheer And say, man, you're old, getting old Song. Yeah, no, and what's funny is that I was sending uh, Pat my choices from my phone. My computer was not working. I had, couldn't find my charger. Uh, and there's at this point the records are like this is a really good album, not one that was a huge hit, but it did, no. it did fine. Yeah, but it sort of like was a point where he coming after Kate Man, he was sort of out of the discussion as being he was not being treated as a, as a, a relevant manager. artist. Yeah. 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 And uh, that song, going back to that, that's a hit. Yeah, like, that's a hit song. That's a generationally, like, but it may have been a generation that was no longer buying yeah. music. Yeah, that's that's a that's a Kodachrome or a Julio yeah. or any any one of those type of things. It's right in there. No, and uh, now was that you also your song from this? No, because since you picked it, I picked uh, uh, "Darling Lorraine." Oh, okay. Which I love. This this is a nice story about a couple. Anyway, Lorraine and I got married, and the usual marriage stuff. Then one day she says to me, from out of the blue, she says, Frank, I've had enough. Romance is a heartbreaker. I'm not meant to be a homemaker. And I'm tired of being darling Lorraine. You don't love me anymore What? You're walking out the door What? You don't like the way I chew Hey, let me tell you I just, I just love I love no, that And the thing that's, again, like weird themes of a career that It's what's great when someone can have a 50-year career as a writer Like one of the things he does I don't know if it's a trick or just a He writes conversation mm -hmm. So it's like you're part of half a conversation. Yeah. It's like Bob Newhart did in comedy, and you're just hearing him, what? You know, it's like, yeah. I love that. Well, it's so funny. The song title, Darling Lorraine, before you hear the song, right. you think, oh, this is going to be like some type Sweet. of love song. Yeah, and she says, I'm tired of being right. Darling Lorraine. Right. It's like Darling Nikki. It's yeah. Really, really dangerous <laughs> for you. Uh, I'm not sure if the Caucasians get that. Um, 
the next record is a record when uh, right around the time I really did have my first substantial conversation with him. It's a really interesting record, Surprise. Yeah. It's not one I listen to, I go back to that much, I think in my head, because even though it came out later, it mm-hmm. was a lot about that sort of post 9-11 world. Mm-hmm. I was a new parent and he was writing about being a parent on some of the stuff. Uh, you pick, did you pick father and daughter as I predicted or no? Well, I, I've, uh, I've played father and daughter many, many times because that really, I mean, I have daughters and it just, that one hits me. That one wrecks me. Okay. Well, if you've already played that, you, maybe we're playing the same song, which is fine. Is, did you pick Outrageous or no? Uh, I have Outrageous, but I also have How Can You Live in the, in the Northeast. So okay. let's play Outrageous. Yeah, Outrageous is, again, to me, like old. He was not having hits, No, but it's a hit. It and, is, and this and, is and co-written he, with Brian Eno, this one. Yeah, and I told him at the time, this on an album of moody stuff, this is a frigging great song, yep. just a great track. It's outrageous to line your pockets off the misery of the poor. Outrageous to crime some human beings must endure. It's a blessing to wash your face in the summer solstice rain. It's outrageous a man like me stand here and complain. But I'm tired. 900 sit-ups a day. I'm painting my hair the color of mud. mud, okay? I'm tired, tired. Anybody care what I say? No. Painting my hair the color of mud. Who's gonna love you when you look so gone? Tell me who's gonna love you when you look so gone? Ah, who's gonna love you when you look so gone? Who's gonna love you when you look so gone? Who's gonna love you when you look so gone? Who's gonna love you when you look so gone? If you had to look at an example of why Paul Simon, like I love the Stones, mm-hmm. love Mick Jagger, yeah, but here's a song that Paul Simon wrote that I don't think a lot of older artists would write. Where no. it's literally about losing your looks. Mm-hmm. It's literally about dying, like dying your hair. Yeah, like Mick Jagger's not even going to admit that he dies his hair. <laughs> yeah, no, no one in rock no. has ever really, and he writes. This song, that's old and this, mm-hmm. that's like, a, they're a little bit of a piece to me. They're like songs where someone is just going at exactly what right. it is to be a rock star yeah. getting older. And I love that. That's why it's so, that's why it's really fun to, to see Springsteen because he, he still looks so vital and, and alive up there. And he, uh, you know, he's got some gray in there. Maybe, maybe he's had work done. I don't know. I can't really see it. Some people said, I think work, Bruce has had work done, but he looks, you know, fit and badass up there. But yet, uh, but yes. he also looks older too. Yes, yeah. I will say Uh-oh. I don't even think Bruce. I, I think Bruce. That's I. I think Paul is the only one who wrote that song, and I think yeah, yeah. I mean, in a way that Bruce. I think Bruce looks amazing. Yeah. I don't know how it happens. Right. But I don't think he has a song about it. No. And he, I just think, and he t- writes about aging in a yeah, great yeah. way. I'm just saying this is particularly this is dead on Paul it. Simon. Yeah. This is dead on it, and it's very explicit to him. Yeah. It's like. I think old, getting and old, old, and then outrageous. Yeah, it's great. And he also like the music sounds like top forty music of that time. I think, yeah. Well, you know what's weird is I think part of maybe this is something that we all are have in common is I think because I think I'm a little bit more into my love of black music than you. You you have a midwestern sort of yeah ethic in white like rock mike siegel who yeah. born and raised in chicago he he right. loves, loves that stuff he brings that stuff. he brings that to this show what i think is 
why I love Paul Simon, and it's true why I love Aerosmith in a way I don't like. I don't love Black Sabbath, and I know everyone loves them as a group. You know, I'm, I'm not saying what I don't like I don't, Black Sabbath I, either. I, I can't love I like groups a that don't have soul. Yeah, and I think like Steven Tyler happens to be funky. Yes, like, he is funky, and, and like Paul Simon, a Jewish guy from New York mm-hmm. who maybe dying his hair mud mm-hmm. with the color of mud or whatever yeah. it is. Listen to that track. It's friggin' badass, funky. Yeah. It's like really, really soulful. That's that's and that's that's the thing about the Stones. Though the Stones, like the Who, aren't funky and soulful. Oh, they're no. they're Stones r- have that. Yeah, the Stones have that. Yeah. And really, when we were talking about what we were saying about what you know what Townsend brings to the table for Daltrey and with with Mick and Keith, because I wanted to say this earlier, I that seems like the truest partnership. Because when I listen to a Stone song. I don't necessarily say, oh, Mick brought this one to the table or Keith brought this one. It just sounds like the two of those guys together. They might bring stuff to the table individually within the song, but you know what I mean? Like sometimes you can tell. I I like when there's a surprise. I have been, when I've read stuff, I've been surprised by that two of them, like who who did things. Mm -hmm. McCartney and Lennon, most of the time I can tell, and yet when the surprises happen, they're fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And when they're not even surprises, like... uh, uh, like day in the life is so interesting because you mm-hmm. hear how much they get from the two different perspectives yes. and the two shadings of lightness and dark and the you know I'm telling you like partnerships are fascinating from Phil and Don in a different mm-hmm. way to Paul and Artie to Mick and Keith mm-hmm. to John and Paul and yeah you can get they can become so legendary you forget that's why when I worked on this Beatles show it literally hit me. I'm getting, they're so legendary and iconic to me, I forgot there are two guys who had lost their moms who met when they were young. Yeah. And you go, okay, that's why, even though that we know the tensions that were at them, there was a deep connection. Right. Like that's an instinctive, like two different people who had two different coping strategies for a similar pain. Yeah. Which is just interesting that way. Yeah. Okay, we're moving on? Yes. We're moving on to... And again, I, these these last two, and you know, Paul Simon's been on an upswing since 2000 with "You're the One" and "Surprise." If people think that he's not still a vital recording and touring entity, he most definitely is. I I think he's just getting better and better and better. Yeah, like he did a tour in this era with Sting, and mm-hmm. personally, and I like Sting, but I think he's been a more the last five years he's been a really vital artist, uh, Paul. Paul, and yeah. Like, these last the last two records are great and the yeah. new one is even greater to me uh and in fact by the way sting has a new song i've heard and i really like it's yeah, the first well, time it, in this years this is he's doing a pop rock album again yeah, and so let's do it yeah, sting it's great but in any case uh yeah so beautiful uh, or so what and i like and i like this album better than the new album okay but you're wrong but fair <laughs> enough <laughs> what, so what are we playing uh for me i, I can i play uh uh, rewrite. Oh yeah, great, great song. Just unbelievable. I've been working on my rewrite. That's right. I'm gonna change the ending. Gonna throw away my title and toss it in the trash. Every minute after midnight, all the time I'm spending is just for working on my rewrite. That's right. I'm gonna turn it into cash. I've been working at the car wash. I consider it my day job Cause it's really not a paid job But that's where I am 
Everybody says the old guy Working at the car wash Hasn't got a brain cell Left since Vietnam But I say help me, help me, help me, help me Thank you I'd no idea That you were there So this is about a guy who's trying to rewrite things that he did wrong in his life or, you know, trying to get on track in his later years. But here's the thing about Paul Simon. Mm -hmm. And this is something that came through in my last conversation with him, which was only a few months ago. It's always a song also about writing a song. Yeah. And the song's called Rewrite. Right. And you're talking about a guy who rewrites and re who's very diligent in his trying to write a great song. Right. So that's always there too. It's so interesting. It so it's all those things. Mm -hmm. And a lot of music, you and I both know, a lot of contemporary music doesn't even have one level. Yeah. And a song like Rewrite to me has a couple. Yeah. And they're all pretty interesting. And that's I think the last thing, one of the last records he produced by uh Phil, Phil Ramone. Ramone, yeah. And one. it's just a beautiful sounding record. And I think kind of undiscovered. I think I think so too. I like Stranger and Stranger is getting Stranger is getting a lot of much attention. much more um what do we what do we want to say? Uh Press props, and yeah. props than yeah. this album did, but um, I'm going to hear the. Uh, the a opening. lot of people think that's because I wrote the uh, album, the uh, uh, bio for it. Well, I think that's uh, Elvis Costello wrote the liner notes for this album. Oh God! <laughs> yeah. uh, so I'm, let me hear uh, "Getting Ready for Christmas Day." This is the track that opens the album. I think that was the first track that was sort of put out in some form. Yes, it was. And I remember just going, oh my God, it's so interesting. Because yeah. like, he also, you know, used those sort of found stuff or, you know, other voices that seem like from a different song. Mm -hmm. It's just this sort of, that connection to gospel mm -hmm. and it's just so brilliant. And uh, thanks to Joe Amsterdam and Concord Records for keeping Paul Simon's name out there. Not that he, he, Paul Simon needs help, but I mean, these people are really working these records and stuff. Oh no, uh, again, like how many artists have put out two of their best records yeah. most recently, you know, no, who started in yeah. the 60s. I mean, they might still be putting albums. I mean, Neil Young puts out an album every six months, but I mean, nothing is like these two Paul Simon albums. In his, no, I know. love it. And I don't feel like he's, I don't feel like, you know, sometimes when an artist puts an album out, I think, you know, a veteran artist, I go, no, this is probably going to be the last one. But I don't feel that way with Paul Simon. I just feel till his last breath, he'll still be writing and recording music. I like this isn't a farewell album. I don't feel. Yeah, I. You know, it's what's weird is as we get older and then they get older, mm. you don't know. You never know. It's like yes. I, I didn't think Prince. I didn't but, think it was an issue we were thinking about. Prince, Prince wasn't old. So. Yeah, at all. But uh, I will say, "Stranger, Stranger," which we're now at is. I, I just when I talk to him, he said it explicitly to me, and maybe he'll say it tomorrow at the Grammy Museum. He's saying like, I said, I said. One of the things I said to him was, I want to thank you for making me care about a record because like, he was one of the guys who made me care about the album. Mm -hmm. And we're living at the time where the album is, 
so threatened or disappearing yeah. as an art form of any of cultural significance. Right. And he's one of the guys who's saying no. And by the way, a lot of older artists are saying a recording. I don't know if it even economically makes that much sense for them to do it. Mm -hmm. They're doing it because basically a lot of the older artists, new fans don't want new songs. They want them to go out and do the hits. And I, I respect so much the artists who are saying, no, yeah. I have to. I mean, and Ringo makes a record, yeah. you know, in his home. And I James I Taylor's last album, I yeah. loved it. And it was on it was, Concord Records. Yeah, it was number one. Yeah, uh, his first, I think. Or, yeah, and this was Paul's number one. This is the number one for Paul, I believe, Stranger Stranger. It's great. Uh, my first track. Well, I want to use this. I want to use this, your track for the play out. Right, I'm not going to use that track. Oh, you have another one? Yes, I had two on the list. Oops. Uh, so if it's a cool, okay, with, I'd love to play Cool Papa Red. Cool Papa Bell, Na again, putting it all together, named after a baseball player, including a curse, and writing a great effing track. All right, give me one second, guys. Coming up, Cool Papa Bell, great song. Unless you, am I stealing your song? No, no, no. the Graceland magic. Yeah, that's that, that's that has definitely a Graceland, a Graceland feel. And uh it's so funny. I don't I don't imagine Paul being wall to wall fun <laughs> as a person. He seems like a little bit of curmudgeon, a little bit. Don't you think? I haven't found I mean I again I don't know him. Yeah, I don't know him at all. No, but I've talked I've to never him. talked to him on the phone. I've had good conversations with him. The and, first time I talk yeah. to him will be tomorrow night. So <laughs> I have no idea what to expect. Oh you say would you like to thank you for letting me park your car, Mr. Sam <laughs> He better tip. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is a, that's a great tune. Uh, I tell you, here's what I'm going to do. I don't, and I don't know this is going to happen folks, but I will, uh, I will contact Joel Amsterdam and see if he'll send me a couple of these, uh, CDs, uh, a couple more of them. He already sent me one from my personal collection and then, uh, and I'll give them away on Twitter cause I want people to hear this Yeah, and, uh, that's what I'll do. But, um, okay. So David, it's been way too long since you've been here. So thank you for coming back. Well, and it you. wasn't because you didn't want to be here. It's just because I wasn't asked. You weren't asked. Yeah. And the, the reason we weren't asked is because all these things keep coming up. I can't even get the, the regulars in the rotation. Everyone's busy and it's crazy, but, but thank you again. No, thank uh, you. Uh, th I never uh, thanked you uh, on mic for, uh, for greatest hits. That was an amazing three, three and a half weeks we, that we had just watching cool artists every single day. No, thank you. Bring That's, it. We, we survived. We made it. And um, and thank you for taking me to this Paul Simon thing. It's really going to be the highlight of my life. <laughs> Literally, my 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 
marrying my wife and then my kids being born and then this, this Paul Simon thing's going to be incredible. I think together, we'll work Joel Amsterdam together <laughs> to make it so that you're there as oh, my that's a good roadie. idea. Let's work that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, Kyle, thank you. I know you're not feeling well today. Well, and fine. I thank know you, a lot of times when you're here, um, you got to sit down and listen to some classic music that you might not care for. How, how do you feel about Paul Simon? I don't mind this because like I, I grew up, my dad would play Simon everyone, Garfunkel. Yeah, everyone's so grown up with Paul Simon. Yeah. Everyone knows the music. Uh, David, you are at Wild About Music. I am. Don't understand what that handle means. Do you, I have no do you idea. like music? Not much of a fan. Uh, Kyle, you're at Kyle Dotson Funny. Yep. We are at Rock Solid Show. I am at Pat underscore Francis. Verified. I, I, yes. Verified. You've been verified for a long time. Oh, yeah. And they, you were verified just because you're David Wild, so they verified. You didn't have to request. I don't know how it happened. I think. Uh, it's when you're a name, it's when you're yeah. really someone. But I did, I have to say, I didn't go out of my way to get you verified. When I was doing Pardo, I actually did call the head of Twitter and ask him to verify Did him that work? For the day. He said it will take a little while. He think he did do it, like, but I think he, I wanted to do it as we were on oh, air. That would have so been I hysterical, say, like if it just pops yeah, up. Yeah, as I said, go look at yourself. I got you verified during, I told, I requested the Twitter verify him during my interview. They well, didn't do that. look, it's fun to be verified. It validates me. I feel like I'm someone now. Yeah. But, um... Uh, now I don't even know where I was going with this. Andrew Rich, thank you for the show notes. Um, this week's artwork will be by Jamie Whitlock. And um, thank you, David, for being here as thank always. You. Yeah. And uh, you bring some uh, some fun and name drops and credibility to the show. I would never name drop a name. So we're going to close it out. with. Oh, I want to play my song, and then we're going to close it out. Okay. Because I didn't get to play one. Let's hear a little bit of, uh, of, where, of The Werewolf. That's good. I love that song. Now. Oh my god, that opening lines are yeah. brilliant. It's like a, it's a, it's a great comedy sketch. And the werewolf is coming. And the new comedy, yeah. No, it's a song about like foreboding and death and yeah. tragedy, and yet it's mm. funny and gets a sushi knife in there. Okay, so the the song you picked is the song that it, it immediately jumps out at you as this song. This is so great. Again, like again, you mentioned greatest hits and all these TV shows. Mm. My whole life is I have a wristband on, and I'm always yes. trying to talk myself in backstage mm. and things I'm working on and having guards look at me the wrong way. And I felt like when I talked to Paul, I said, this song is my life. It is, mm. it feels like it's my national anthem. When, when you get in somewhere, you're, you're even when you, even when you have the wristband on and you get in somewhere, the way I feel, I, I, I just always feel like I'm not supposed to be here at all. Yeah. No, no. And, <laughs> and there's people who make you feel that way. Sure. This song sure. Is a little bit about. So this song, this song is self-explanatory. Listen to the lyrics. It's a great, it's a great story song. It's so much fun. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you, David. And let's play out with a little bit of wristband. Stage door to breathe some nicotine and maybe check my mailbox 
Oh, 